1: This
2: is a more than just podcast production.
3: Welcome to this podcast Season 4, Episode 9. It says it right there in front of me. Why can't I read it? <laughs> um, my name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. Joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello. I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Same answer as last week. (laughs) Same thing every week. (laughs) It's going fine in the middle of a pandemic. The answer is good, comma, A. Yeah, comma, A. Yeah, that's true. Yes. All right. Speaking of Moose Day, I mean, speaking of, um, yeah, let's do some fact check, shall we? That's Mujitsu Baby, it says Eugene Cordero on, I was watching on the StarTrek.com site. He was talking about, uh, that was apparently first time seen in TNG- uh, season 2, Episode 14, The Icarus Factor, where where Riker's dad shows up and, and hands him, you know, whatever. So there's a Lower Decks Mugato-Gumato easter egg clip here with uh, which they talk about some of the easter egg-y thing, kind of things. So that's for you to follow up. And Jonathan, you get some follow up stuff? Yeah, just a quick one. So we
4: talked last week about uh, Annie Wishing who is going to be the Borg Queen on Season 2 of Picard. And she played Leslie Dean on Runaways. We weren't sure which character she played. And I also discovered by uh, getting into her IMDb that she also appeared in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise way back in 2002. Ooh, wow. In a part that I did not recognize in an episode I did not recognize. But there mm, she was. What was the episode? What was the episode? I cannot remember the title off the top of my head. I looked it up earlier sure. and was just like, man, I don't remember that. Crap! More fact check. Yep. All right. Sure. Make fact check
3: off our fact check. Good job, man. <laughs> it's very meta, <laughs> as Greg would say. So let's jump into our headlines then, and you're just gonna lead off into the whole Star Trek Day thing. No, right? no. Oh, by the way, this is a team effort. Wait, 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 wait. I, I gotta say. So I ordered three T-shirts yesterday. One Star Trek, Star Trek Day. One. One for the new uh, Christopher Pike um, series. And a disco shirt, and the disco shirt arrived today. Whoa! Yeah, I mean, whoa, that was fast. Was
4: it like? Are they storing it
3: at those uh, film studios down near your house, or what? I think. Well, so yeah, maybe they. Uh, they. Uh, it came from Amazon actually. So it did say. Ra- it said did say it was rapid, rapid um, delivery. But because I mean, cause remember we couldn't get those for the longest time when when they first came out yeah. a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I tried to get them, and I couldn't find them anywhere, and then they were at E V Games, and I couldn't find them anywhere there. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, so I finally got myself a disco shirt, which I never thought I would ever say in my entire life that I'm going to wear a disco <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Proudly wear a disco shirt. Yeah, exactly. Well, because it's it's now it's tongue firmly planted in cheek, right? So, anyway, Star Trek Day. Star Do-do-do. Trek Day.
4: So, September the 8th, 2021, the second annual Star Trek Day. This was a live stream event on Paramount Plus, also on YouTube, and it was an extravaganza, a big love-in for for all things Star Trek. They had panels, they had special guests, they did a red carpet, they had a live orchestra, and they had some news, which was kind of fun. The uh, first sort of bit they got into was the Prodigy trailer. They got a first full, real trailer for star trek prodigy and they also announced when it's going to be available it's coming on october 28th and we also know that we already knew that it was coming on paramount plus we know uh, are just 100 percent sure it's coming on crave and on ctv sci-fi here in canada yeah and uh what did
3: you guys think of the first trailer for star trek prodigy so interesting i i, I don't know maybe i missed the part that kate Mulgrew is going to play a hologram is that correct yeah,
4: she is uh, basically like like the EMH from from Voyager. She's the Emergency Tactical Program or Emergency Leadership Program or something else, right? So she is basically the the computer version of herself. It's not so it's not actually Catherine Janeway. It's the holographic interpretation of her.
3: Yeah, I kind of wondered like it, it, so it sounds like they kind of find the, the the ship and they take it over these these young rapscallions, right? Yeah. And um and you know they 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 make off with it as it were and she sort of she's there to coach them along the way. Um do you think it's geared towards kids or is it just meant it just has that sort of flavor in the No, it it is. Trailer? I think
4: the this is supposed to be even more so than Lower Decks, which is more like adult animation. That works on a lot of levels this one i think is more geared towards a younger audience it's made by nickelodeon studios and right. i think it's one of those ones where it's it's i think actually uh, uh my son mentioned today he said is is it my impression is it's like clone wars and i was like that's actually a really good analogy where i think there's going to be lots of pew pew and excitement explosions and danger and and you know all that kind of stuff that you would get in a cartoon like Clone Wars. But I do think that it's sort of, you know, it's aiming at a
3: a younger audience. Right, and Clone Wars was on YTV when it was broadcast up here, right? Or something like that?
4: Yeah, I think it was on the cartoon channel here. It was was on
3: something, like, I think it was like... Initially, again, I think later on it was on on something else, but I I can't recall. Maybe it was shown later in the day because after the younglings have gone to bed sort of thing.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, again, it always sort of straddled that line between, like which audience it's going for again i can't imagine uh, and and while this is a good question and and before i want to hear what jaime has to say but i also want to say um is this something that we're going to want to do as a weekly review podcast show and that was a question that was asked of me earlier today and i said i can't see a, a star trek show being on tv and us not wanting to talk about it whether it's directly aimed at adults or not right Right,
2: right. Yeah, hmm. I, I, I'd i agree with that. And I did get Clone Wars vibes, where Clone Wars had silly, oh look, Jar Jar is doing hijinks, and then some pretty dark topics that uh, yeah. certainly reach for adults. So I could see this one do the same. Oh, the robot, silly, you don't know how to drive the ship, you're crashing, and then some really dark things because it starts out with oh, <laughs> they feel like slaves or like they're not well treated on that mining junkyard kind of planet. So it feels like it's uh, you know, here in America, this would um, you know, if it wasn't a Nickelodeon thing, if it wasn't Paramount Plus, probably feels like it fits with Cartoon Network, but kind of the later in the day. It's not the like super adult one. It's not the uh, Rick and Morty after like eleven PM sort of cartoon network. It feels more like, yeah, this is like prime time one where early prime time, some of the older kids can watch it, but not the not the little ones who are, you know, too young to go to school kind of thing. that's where I feel this probably fits.
3: Yeah, impression I get too. Hmm.
4: So the next thing we got after Prodigy was a look at Strange New Worlds. And Strange New Worlds, they kind of teased us, I feel, a little bit. Like it felt like on social over the the last little while, like they were really headed towards showing us a trailer. And I, I was kind of geared to see the first look at it. And instead of showing us a trailer for... The show and what we're you know giving us a sample of what we're going to see they switched it up and gave us a trailer for who we're going to see so right. they also unveiled this trailer that showed who's going to be on the cast you know obviously we knew it was going to be you know ethan pike it was going to be Re- rebecca Romain. um you know we sort of knew the, the primary cast members but we now know that we're going to get uh some of these other cast members who they're actually going to play so we found out that Celia Rose Gooding is going to play a cadet version of Uhura. We found out that Jess Bush is going to play uh, Nurse Christine Chapel. We found out that Babs Olusumukun is going to play Dr. Mbenga, who was, uh, was on the original series. Uh, and then we got a couple of new cast members. Bruce Horak is going to be playing a character named Hammer. Uh, who is... Oh, I can't even remember from Enterprise. What are they, there was a different name. The, the albino versions of um, Andorians, there's a different name there, like Amers or something? Oh, really?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know.
4: Um, Christina Chong is going to play Nan Nunyan Singh, a pretty ominous name for any Star Trek fan. Yeah, yeah. And Melissa Navia is going to play Lieutenant Erica Ortegas. And... Yeah, it was it was this you know, uh,
3: and and now we know that number one has a name, and we right? know that
4: number one has a name. Her name is Una Chin Riley. So it's weird because I I was pretty hyped after watching that video, and yet it it didn't really tell us anything other than these are some characters you have to look forward to. How how did you guys feel about the this sort of it, not it almost trailer trailer? Like
3: a, yeah, it almost seemed like a cell reel, like like this is you know sort of explaining who the characters are as opposed to you know, giving us the sort of J.J. Abrams, you know, lens flare effect sort of trailer, right? And But it's interesting, though, I, I did notice that when Rebecca Romaine was talking in the on the panel about working on, on this show was, you know, the whole COVID-19, you know, um, social distancing, got to wear your mask all the time, mm-hmm. uh, not able to talk to the other castmates, you know, when you weren't in a scene, I'm sure that was pretty restrictive, and I wonder if that's also affected the production time on this show because, you know, they kind of have to run, you know, film it all and then run away and do all the special effects. So maybe, maybe production has been delayed because of that and they weren't able to put together a good sizzle reel right
4: yeah maybe um, maybe
3: but i mean yeah you're right i i kind of you know, I, th- I think you were the one that sort of i mean i'm going to blame spotcast for this because i was expecting <laughs> a trailer of some type right <laughs> um but yeah and and I, I was surprised that we didn't and and as soon as i saw it i kind of went eh. and then i you know the 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 two ladies that were hosting the red carpet um they replayed it a little while later i think while there was it was like i guess a, a, a dinner break or something between the two sessions yeah yeah, I, just as a, as a side comment here, I've seen a lot of um, bands play with orchestras before, and I've never really been a big fan of going to a show where an orchestra is there because they have that whole union rule of like ninety minutes and then they're out, mm. you know. Um, but it was interesting to see that that, that this orchestra stuck around for like was it like almost a three-hour show, right? Three and a half hours. We'll we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, was a half. There was a half-hour break, I think, or something. like well, that, Well, right? they but, were, but they
4: also there was a. Um, yeah, I mean, they, the the show itself was like three and a half hours between like the red carpet and then all the intros yeah. and then the orchestra and then all the panels
3: and everything wrapping
4: right. up. Yeah, three and a half hours, right. crazy.
3: Yeah, and and yeah. So, but coming back to this show, it was it was interesting that Anson Mount didn't really have a lot to say until you know he, they kind of gave him some real direct questions. It was mostly the guy who plays Spock and Ethan Peck and Rebecca yeah. Peck and the, um, and, and the two producers talking about it. And the really annoying thing for me was uh, I got to say, I really didn't enjoy the fact that it was on Facebook video, whatever they call it, Facebook play or whatever, because on my phone it was the video and the audio was in sync on my iPad. It was video. And so I decided to watch it on my, on my Apple TV mm. and like the th- the three, the streams weren't at the same time. I ended up just leaving my iPad on and just, muting the tv because the audio and the it was off by a good like 30 like you know half a half a millisecond like like it was like you'd see somebody moving and then you'd hear their voice you know whatever so it was like way out of way to sync mm. so almost impossible to watch and um i because i was wondering like is it on something else like i'd want to watch it on youtube or twitter or something you know but it looked like it was only on facebook and i wasn't sure if maybe my apple tv was actually streaming from my phone and that might have been the problem right mm. But, uh, cause there's, there's an app on Apple TV to, to, for Facebook, but, which I almost deleted a couple of weeks ago. I'm surprised I didn't, <laughs> but, uh, cause anything with Facebook just makes my, you know, makes me nervous. But, um, yeah, so that, from so that point of view, it was, it was crappy to watch, but, uh, and, and that was unfortunately when, when I was watching, uh, the, the, when their pa- well that panel was on. Mm. Right. So that kind of took away from it, but, um. And I don't know the the whole sort of running gag about oh spoilers 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 and they never really spoiled anything you know no other other than Sonic the Hedgehog that was, really <laughs> that was pretty funny. Right. yeah um, th- yeah so I mean that so I, I I didn't get like you said we didn't get a whole lot out of that um, there was a Christopher Pike uh, that'll come up a little later hopefully but uh, yeah that, that was it so.
2: I uh, I think a lot of this stuff is cool I didn't actually see the event. So I was catching up after the fact on the trailers and teasers and peaks and stuff. I can't speak to the actual event itself.
4: Yeah, I think you, uh, you probably dodged a bit of a bullet there. I, I, well, we'll talk about it once we wrap up this stuff, but it was, it was a very long event. Um, what do you guys make of having these classic characters sort of reinvigorated a new Ahura, a new uh, Dr. Chapel, or, uh, well, Nurse Chapel, I guess at this point, a uh, new Dr. Mbenga, um a
3: a union sing uh what does any of this sort of tell you about where this is going well it's interesting that oh so yeah i guess this is this is supposed to be because the mbanga guy was dr mbanga was on during the, the kirk and spock era yep, right yep um yeah so i'm kind of curious why i mean why would they bring because the, the guy who played the doctor on the cage was really an old dude right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um was it called the Cage? yeah it was called the cage originally the pilot right uh yes yeah, so i don't know why they didn't go with that or or why they're not trying to replicate a sort of defrost kelly character right like uh like um what's his name does the australian actor from the boys oh yeah it. Yeah. yeah keith urban that's it uh keith urban yep uh Cal- carl urban. carl urban yeah carl urban. yeah, yeah it's keith's brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they're all the same down there they're All they're all called brutes oh right um but yeah, I, I, I thought it was odd that they would bring him in because I think he was like, he was only on, on the uh, the original series for maybe one or two episodes, right? And I always thought he was like, you know, the second doctor to McCoy, right? Yeah,
4: I think he was basically the doctor on duty when McCoy was on an away mission. That was sort of his... He's the lower deck doctor. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he was the backup doctor. I do think yeah. that uh, I could understand why they wouldn't want to do Dr. McCoy right off the hop just because it is...
3: It, iconic character. Yeah, well,
4: it yeah. is. And again, I think if you have him on there, I think you're going to want to invest the time with him. And I think they already had three leads between, you know, uh Anson Mount, Ethan Peck and Rebecca Romaine. Plus, they're introducing these, you know, what seemed like really interesting uh potential side characters. It's a lot. It's a lot to add a McCoy in there. And you can always do that if you go four seasons or whatever. He could always come on board in a different, you know, a, As a young intern or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's always yeah. a way to do that down the road. You don't have to sort of, you know, go all in at once. Again, you're gonna get a young Uhura, you're gonna get a young, you know, a Spock. I think
3: there's there's stuff there to chew on. Cause he was he was in the next generation, was it near the it was in the first season he was on? The pilot. Oh, he's in the pilot. Oh yeah, the very first the, the, Yeah, he's hanging one. out with data and he sort of says, you know, yeah, right. It's a good ship, you be true to her and she'll always bring you home. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. I mean I'm looking forward to it. Um again you know it's like rebuilding the Millennium Falcon like is that is it going to really work i mean I, we've seen shots of it of the enterprise bridge right but it's such an iconic set you know but it looks so that, good like it looked so good yeah. in, in discovery season 2 yeah that's true that's true yeah
4: yeah and i loved the in the panel they were talking about how the the attention to detail they were going for that mid-century modern kind of aesthetic mixed with re, you know real 21st century modern I'm I'm kind of curious to see more than just the bridge to see a little more around the ship. They said they you know they really sort of did the you know redid the captain's quarters and the ready room and and you know I, I am I'm really curious to see that sort of revitalized 1960s aesthetic.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Oh, show the next panel was a was a fun one. They they brought out a few of the cast members and the creator of of lower decks didn't really say much. It, again, it was a good time, but. They gave a sizzle reel for sort of the second half of, of the season, but again, no real like, oh my goodness, oh, look at that character. Like, it, it, it really wasn't a lot of there there, which I guess makes sense. Again, we got, we got episode five of, of Lower Decks the next day. We only have five episodes left to go in the season, so it makes sense that it's not going to be like the greatest thing ever, um, but it wasn't really much of anything.
2: Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. halfway through such a short show, it's like you, you, uh, you gave me, you gave me the rest of the season with extra steps. as <laughs> well just yeah. released all the episodes at that point. If I'm going to see the trailer of a show, that's, you know, 20 minutes times five, a hundred minutes. You, know?
4: <laughs> you just showed me two minutes out of the, you know, I got great. I just got to see like, you yeah. know, 4% of the, show.
3: yeah, for sure.
4: Um, they did a nice panel where they did a sort of remembering Gene Roddenberry. It was uh, Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday or would have been his 100th birthday mm-hmm. recently. And so they brought out uh, George Takei, uh, Gates McFadden was there, LeVar Burton, and uh, Rod Roddenberry, his son, and had a nice little, you know, everybody shared some memories and stuff like that. That was cute. Again, I think, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Obviously, for Star Trek Day, you want to celebrate Gene, but it's it was, again... It wasn't a lot of there there. Uh, they moved from yeah. that into Picard season two. And that's where he, he missed disco though. Oh yeah, that's true. We did. They did do the the disco one, but again, like disco, they did um, the, the unveiling of the sort of timeline, but we didn't get a trailer. So there were, again, it wasn't a lot of there there. They really just sort yeah. of said, Hey, by the way, it's coming on November 18th. Be there. Um, and in the panel, they talked about, you know, some of the obvious stuff, like, Saru's gonna rejoin the crew at some point like well wow I can't believe that's gonna happen um it wasn't there was not a lot of sort of news that came out of that one too but again realistically we're talking about a show that's gonna come out in five weeks six weeks like yeah yeah I guess they don't want to spoil anything at this point and they've already put out a you know a bit of a teaser and everything so it is what it is uh Picard season two they they didn't reveal too much well they didn't do a panel which is kind of weird yeah so, you know, we didn't get, you know, Patrick Stewart, we didn't get, you know, anybody sort of out there talking about it. They basically came out and sort of said, you know, hey, here's the trailer. They showed the trailer, which showed a lot of stuff. So there's some stuff for there, in there for us to parse.
3: Um, well, it explained a lot of what we were, some of the questions we had about, like, where is this, like...
4: Yeah, where does the it board like queen alternate... fit in? How, yeah. what's the timey-wimey thing? Why is seven no longer seven? Yeah. So the really, the the, the big things that came out of this were... They announced it's coming in February, which makes sense because it, it times out to come on right after disco ends. Sorry, Jaime, you're in for the long haul on Paramount+. Plus.
2: That's okay. I mean, that's, that, that's their problem, right? Give me enough <laughs> content to keep me plunking down my $6 a month. I'm like, you, you slip up for even one month and I unsubscribe, <laughs> right?
4: Merciless, merciless. Where will, they, where will they
3: get that $6 from? <laughs>
4: They uh, they also announced uh, that they are going to make a, a third season, which is good news. Um, I was wondering, honestly, because it did occur to me and I know they were playing it for the the role. But there was times where Patrick Stewart seemed, I mean, like he is an, an 80 year old man, you know, like, yeah, he's not a young man to be globe trotting, And even, you know, obviously he, you know. I'm sure they're being cautious with him and, and giving him, you know, what he needs to do his work. But it's a lot to put on a, a man of his age, no matter how talented he is, no matter how spry he feels, to lead a show. And so I, I wasn't sure if they were just going to be like, yeah, we're going to do a couple of these and then we're out. So good news that we're getting a third season. And and I'm obviously excited yeah. about any adventures that involve that part of the universe and Picard and, and you know, all that. But Maybe Betty Whites is understudy. <laughs> if she was, I'd be nervous. <laughs> as we, as we wow. talked about last week, she buries her co-star, so I don't, think I'd, oh, I, don't I don't think I'd want to be involved <laughs> in, that, uh, in that particular casting. Uh, so I guess once again, we will start with you, Jaime, what, uh, what did you think of the Picard trailer we got, the very spoilery
2: trailer we got? Well, I thought it was interesting that they go back in time to roughly around now. I, I forget the exact yeah. year, but it was, um, I was like, oh man, do I need to just, every time something goes wrong in our daily lives and just turn around and say, Q, it's like, <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> he's the reason we have the, uh, the crappiest timeline right now. It's, um, uh, because we're, we're the alternate reality version of what it should be. Cause that kind of seems like what they did, right? It's like, oh, they went back to, I don't know what we can find on the trailer. It was like. Somewhere between like 2015 to 2027 or something is what i think it was it's like yeah maybe it's a
4: 21st century welcome to the 21st century like oh of course they're here because that's why else wouldn't they you know yeah they have to it's a star trek rule
2: yeah and it also is like a really good way for them to save money on some episodes right oh they're they're driving oh, yeah. in a buick <laughs> okay oh yeah I, I hope you take the monies from that and put it in the pew 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 towards like the, <laughs> the season finale and then i'll be okay with that you know? yeah yeah but the the concept seemed kind of cool, where they're like, I think in the the alternate timeline, where the board queen is like in a in a jar, like a pickle jar, and they're using her for something. It's not even clear uh, if she's fully alive or just a husk or uh, incapacitated in some way and being used for nefarious purposes.
4: Yeah, I mean, she does sort of open her eyes in the trailer, which makes you think perhaps she's been in stasis of some kind and is now not. Yeah, yeah. They're they're trying to figure out basically Q changes it. The, the plot seems to play out in the trailer that Q shows up, says the trial's still going on, even though it's been, you know, 25 years. And here's the next part of the trial, snaps his fingers, changes reality so that something changed in the past. And now the world that our crew from last season that Picard has assembled are the only ones aware that they're not where they're supposed to be and they're in this totalitarian version of of the federation seems a very mirror
3: anniversary yeah, kind I was of thing has been done before And yeah.
4: then they realize okay the only way to fix this is to go back in time which of course it is cuz it's Star Trek and they go back in time, using obviously some Borg technology, we get a few scenes of them interacting in 21st century, you know, ways. Uh, and obviously their goal is to sort of quickly race against time to try and prevent whatever it is that changes the timeline from happening in order to get Q to snap his fingers
3: and put it back or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's true. We don't have Christopher Reeves to fly backward around the Earth so it go back in time if he used Borg <laughs> technology. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, again, it, it wouldn't be Star Trek if there wasn't some timey wimey stuff mixed in there. Too. Yeah, I mean, this is where they, an they alternate
2: universe. They they get uh, you know, Worf to show up on the show purely because you know he's got the the sweet gig on the Klingon High, high Council, and then yeah. they're like, "So we want to go back in time." He's like. I already got you, bro. We we have this old, <laughs> this old as hell bird of prey that you can take and go loop around yeah. the sun a few times. We <laughs> <It'd
4: be> fine. <laughs> we got this old one. It still has some transparent aluminum in it. You're fine. Yeah. Um. Other sort of observances from Star Trek Day. So it was a strange event. They they did do it live on on all these channels. I'm not sure live is the best format for this. Uh, you know, Mika Burton and and uh, Wesley Crusher were the hosts and
3: um, Will Wheaton. He's a little too excited about Star Trek, if you ask me. He
4: was, his smile could have hurt someone. It was gleaming so yeah. brightly. Uh, yeah. They had, you know, a whole sort of red carpet thing. They had these two young women uh, whose names I wrote down as Naomi Kyle and Stella Chu as the sort of red carpet hosts. Mm-hmm. And they kept sort of cutting back and forth to them. I can't say I was particularly blown away by their level of uh, apparently
3: one of the cosplayer maybe that's maybe they won a contest or something
4: I don't or... know but they they really didn't seem to know who everybody was they didn't really seem to sort of right. get it at one point they were talking about this <gasps> exhibit that they had inside and the exhibit had uh some of the costumes they're like oh, it's the original Gorn costume is there and and uh yeah. Leonard Nimoy's original Spock tunic is going to be on display and uh ooh Khan's original and, you know, uniform from the movie played by Ricardo Mantelbon. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I was was not particularly blown away with them. The one thing I did really enjoy is at one point they were interviewing Mary Chifo came out uh, on the red carpet and and she literally came out on the red carpet. She was there having an interview and she started talking about her girlfriend and then Wilson Cruz came over and they were talking and that was the first time she'd publicly acknowledged that she's queer. And I was like, that's really cool. Oh, okay, That was a kind yeah. of a neat moment. And she said, you know, yeah, like I, you know, being friends with Wilson, working with uh, Ian and Blue, the other two, uh, you know, mm-hmm. queer characters on uh, Discovery, she said, yeah, it, it really sort of helped her sort of get in touch with who she is. And she came out to, I guess, her friends and her family previously. It was the first time she came out publicly. And and It was kind of a nice moment, in spite of the fact that it was a weird sort of setting for it. But uh, but yeah, it was kind of kind of beautiful. In that one moment, the four of them were standing there, and it's you know these trans trans people, and uh, you know obviously gay and queer, and you know it was all across the, the the rainbow. And it was it was kind of a beautiful moment. It's something that I think Star Trek's done a really good job of embracing, and and to have that sort of moment, it, it was it
3: kind of hit the heartstrings. It was nice. I, I didn't see that part, but, but, uh, and also Jerry O'Connell kind of crashed the party too, because he drove his wife to the event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was holding <laughs> her know? shoes
4: while he did his interview on the red carpet.
3: Yeah. But then he ended up on the panel. Like they just, they put up another chair and gave him a mic and yeah, yeah I don't think he was, it wasn't, but they played it up as if he wasn't planned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought the orchestra stuff that
4: they did again, obviously it made it, you know, pretty long and time consuming, but I mean, it was really kind of neat to watch a live orchestra Play, they played all the theme songs for all the original, uh, all the different series, including Lord X and all the new stuff, too. That was kind of a cool moment. And, and you know, they were really quite amazing to watch, especially considering they're all doing it like, you know, live in the moment and, you know, with masks on and the whole nine yards. Um, D. Bradley Baker is doing one of the voices on Prodigy. He's the one who does all of the clones on the Clone Wars, Bad Batch, all that stuff. This incredible voice actor. Uh, and it was kind of fun to see him like up on a stage, getting kind of some recognition because that guy's just great. And, uh, yeah. And I had, the, I'm starting to have the same feeling about George Takei that I was starting to get about, you know, some of, some of the later years of, you know, uh, James Dewan and, and, um, you know, DeForest Kelly and that where it was like, oh, he's starting to get a little harder, a little slower, a little harder to follow. And mm-hmm. I love, I love George and I'm, I'm so glad that he's still with us. but. You are starting to sort of realize, like, these guys are getting into their 80s, in some cases, 90s. It's, you know, time catches up to everyone. It was kind of one of those mortality moments where I was like, oh, my gosh, George doesn't seem as young as he was. Um, and, the, and the overall thing is just, man, it, by the time they got through all the red carpet, all the panels and everything else and, and all kinds of, you know, back and forth with the they were reading people's tweets live and everything else. It was, I think it was three hours and 37 minutes by the time they were done. I'm as big a Star Trek fan as you're going to find, but damn, that was long mm-hmm. for the amount of news that they actually dropped. And they were dropping the the trailers live on StarTrek.com, on their social channels, pretty much as they were, you know, within 10 minutes of them being live on the show, they were putting them up there. So I'm going to say Jaime is the winner of the night on Star Trek Day choosing for choosing not, not so to watch it live. live. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I was working on other stuff at the same time, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, the, I don't know if, if they were trying to be fan y but it wasn't, the service wasn't great, you know, I did, I've got to say, I did enjoy, I mean, I don't normally get into the, the theme songs of these different shows, but I thought it was interesting to hear them played live to see the, you know, how the pieces are put together and that kind of stuff as a musician, you know, like, uh, but, yeah, but I wouldn't have gone out of my way to see that live, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I, and it was interesting to see that some some of the stars. But to be honest with you, like I basically, you know, I kind of muted the TV. I was actually editing Spotcast last night, mm. so you know, a lot of times I would just sort of leave the leave it running, mute it, and then just go back to my editing. And then when somebody showed up on the stage that I wanted to listen to, I would pause the the editing and go listen to it, right, or, or hit replay or whatever, right. So it wasn't something you wanted to spend unless I don't know, unless you're a super nerd, unless you're you know Will Wheaton, you're not going to sit there <laughs> through the whole thing, right. So yeah. Like I said, he seemed to enjoy the whole event too much. But, yeah. You know.
4: Yeah. Well, he just seemed like he was happy to be <laughs> out of his house. So.
3: I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that was the, the general
4: sentiment was, oh, thank God we're, we're out of our houses.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that he did have, there was one panel where he talked to the, the various people like, uh, because he was talking to the two younger actors
4: mm-hmm, for um, disco, about yeah.
3: being a young actor on, on the show. And, you know, yeah. I think, um, that guy, who, uh, what's the name who plays Harry Kim? Oh Garrett Wang, uh, Garrett Wang. He was on for a bit, and they had a bit of a or chat Wong, about Wong? about that whole thing. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah,
4: yeah. So all right, let's move on. All right. Well, this this was a this is a follow up story to something we talked about last week. How mm-hmm. is Marvel's Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings going to do at the box office, considering it wasn't available on Disney Plus, and yeah. the only way to to see it was to get your butt to a movie theater. Well, I'm happy to announce it did really well, all things being equal. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, according to uh, the Entertainment Weekly piece I'm looking at here, said it took home a 71.4 million bucks over the three days, and then a four-day weekend estimate of 83.5 million US, Mm -hmm. which is the best movie in the last number of years. Now, as it says in this article, they you know pre-pandemic, if a Marvel movie opened below 100 million, it would be a disappointment. But given the circumstances, given obviously all the different factors, that is a pretty impressive debut. And I'm happy to tell our fans that uh, that their your your favorite Spock cast hosts all did their part. Uh, at Jaime was the one with the great idea mm-hmm. to. Uh, purchase a ticket irrespective of whether or not we intended to go just to show our support for for the cast to the idea of having an, an asian primarily asian-led cast and to show our support and uh so jaime led the way he bought a ticket that he did not cash in uh tim and i followed suit and uh and we're glad to have, have- you know, put our, put our change on the pile there to make sure that. Put our money where our mouth absolutely. is. Absolutely. Put right. our, put our money in yeah. there. So Jaime, kudos to you. That was a great idea and a, and a really nice gesture. And it may never get recognized outside of this pod, but uh, I think, I think it was a, a nice thing to do and I'm
3: glad we did it. So it set a Labor Day record, right? According yeah. to, to the article, but, but, and notice that I note that big Black Widow still holds the top spot, right? Yep. And that was released in both, you know, theaters and at home, right? Yep. Or was it all exclusively at home? Uh, no, it was both. It was both. Yeah. Yeah. So I still maintain that You know, they, they, I think they could have made a few bucks, a few more shekels if they, if they had released it for us to watch it, you know? Even if it was like a two-day, if it was a two-day, like you get it for, like Wonder Woman, like for two days, I would have gone for that for sure.
4: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll be, I've been trying to think about how I feel feel about whether or not I will. I do know eventually. some people who went and saw it in the
3: theater though. I do know some that did that. Right?
4: Yeah, and and as do I. I know some people who were just like, "Yeah, I'm going." Okay. That's yeah. that's your choice and then you know, if that's how you you want to go at it, no problem. So here in Ontario where where Tim and I live, the rules are right now that there are no uh there's no need to show a proof of vaccination. There's no need to show proof of a COVID mm-hmm. test or anything else to go to a cinema here in Ontario right now. As of the 22nd of September, there will be a rule in place for uh, cinemas across the province saying that if you wish to attend a movie, you have to show proof of vaccination in order to get mm-hmm. in. And I think at that point, I might make the the effort. I think, I think maybe we can round up the gang and feel a little more secure. I, I still, you know, obviously, if there's still going to be social distancing in theaters. Obviously, there's going to be some, you know, precautions in place. I'm not sure whether or not, obviously, depending on the capacity and how things are staged, whether or not I'll take off my mask and, and dig into a bag full of popcorn. But I I feel like once at least there's that a little bit more of a safety net, I might feel like I'm ready to go see a movie in a theater again.
3: Well, we did go see a movie in, in theater in, in Woodstock when we were there. but And, and I did survive an, an airplane flight you know, where they served as crackers and, and, a you know, soda pop or something like that. Well, um, and, and
4: my my wife made the point and, and she's, you know, I think she's probably, well, no, she is. She's more brave than I am. So she's been working in a hospital for this entire pandemic. That's what she does for a living. She works in, in hospital administration. And when we talked about uh, Shang-Chi, she actually said, oh, I'd like to see that movie. And I almost fell off my chair. And because my wife is is in spite of being married to me, not necessarily a fan of of you know the Marvel movies, this genre, science fiction, that stuff. She's certainly seen some of it and has enjoyed some of it, but she's not what you call a rabid fan. But she was a huge fan of Kim's Convenience and really liked right. Simu Liu and thought, yeah, I, I'd like to see that. She said, I saw the trailer. I like the sort of you know magical sort of feel of it, and I like him and I like Aquafina and yeah, I would go see that movie with you. And I was like, even. Like right now, she's like, dude, I go into a hospital every day. Do you think I'm afraid of a cinema? I was like, okay, fair point. <laughs> fair point. You're way, way tougher than I am. I've been living my little sheltered life here in my little home office, working away for the the company I work I would for. I always think a
3: hospital is a cleaner. I know hospitals are like rampant. Before COVID, they were like, you know, staff infections and all kinds of other stuff. But But I would think that a hospital is a safer environment to go into during a pandemic than a cinema is
4: well even the hospitals here in ontario there there haven't been vaccine mandates there are some coming into place now but she could be working next to people who are not vaccinated just as easily as as anyone else working in a in a work environment right now so there's no guarantees you know she's been vaccinated since i think january she started started getting her vaccines because she was obviously working within the, the hospital but yeah, I mean, there's there's no guarantees that the people around you are making smart choices and, and taking care of themselves the way that that, you know, you'd hope they would. But yeah, it's uh, I was surprised that you wanted to go. And then, yeah, when I sort of said, yeah, I think I might wait until after I feel like it's a little safer. And she, it was basically her very polite way of saying, you know, stop being a wimp. You know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I was like, OK, fine. Fair, fair point. All right. So, yeah, I think by the time we get to that point where they've sort of cleared the hurdle of you have to be vaccinated to go see a movie i feel like yeah maybe i'll be ready to go back and see movies by then yeah i was tempted
3: for a moment for a moment but then
4: you know. well, well we'll get we got two more weeks we'll go see we'll, we'll see yeah we'll see where we yeah. are two weeks from now that's the problem with covid land everything changes so fast
3: well mm-hmm. you know we're yeah we're wave four now and god knows what wave i mean it's like the epicenter of covid in north america as we know that's right, right. So, that's
4: right
3: yeah. all right it's his house um, all, all coming out of his house yeah <laughs>
4: Moving on to uh, quickly to uh, more quasi Marvel movie news, Sony has uh, decided to capitalize on the fact that, and and this is something else we talked about. Well, maybe we're going to start seeing things change depending on how Shang Chi performs. If there's an appetite for people to go to the movie theaters, and like the day after it. Had a good weekend. Sony decided that they're going to move up the new Venom movie, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It was supposed to come out on the 15th of October. Now it's coming out on October 1st. So mm. that's the first sort of domino to fall as far as, you know, getting things moving. And, and uh, you know, maybe they're thinking there's a window for us if we can get there before, you know, the what some people are anticipating to be a fourth wave that will hit in the... In the fall when more people are returning to their offices more people are returning to we were school. in the fourth wave we are in the fourth wave it's we're now at the oh. beginnings of
3: it oh i see okay and this is i haven't seen the first tom hardy movie but this is tom hardy again i guess right it is and yeah
4: the first one was fine uh, you know i watched it i think i want to say netflix or crave or something like that here in Canada. It was perfectly enjoyable. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very complicated. It was certainly, you know, but he's I like Tom Hardy. I think he's a fun actor. I think he's got, you know, he's got my attention for an entire movie. Um, yeah, it was it was perfectly fine. I'm, I'm a little more curious about this one because in the first one, Riz Ahmed played the bad guy in the first one and he was fine, but it was just a little flat. Like Venom's got some decent bad guys and he was not the best of them. This one having Carnage be the bad guy and Woody Harrelson playing Carnage potentially could be a lot more fun. So I, I'm I'm curious about this one. I, I'm I'm not convinced I'll go see it in the theater because I just don't feel invested in the Sony Marvel verse. But I'll probably watch it as soon as it comes to a a
3: streaming platform for whatever I pay monthly. Mm-hmm. Cool. Venom comes out of Spider-Man verse, right?
4: Yeah, that's so. That's that's part of the sort of last non-Marvel-owned Marvel Marvel property is the sort of Spider-Man-verse. So they have the rights to Spider-Man and they have the rights to sort of all these other characters that are connected. And so, yeah, Venom is sort of this dark alien version of of Spider-Man that uh, is, you know, based around this sort of symbiont that mod merges with a human being
3: and creates this sort of super... Topher Grace fault, right? If I remember correctly. He was Topher Grace
4: played him in Spider-Man 3, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last thing I've got right here is The Matrix Resurrection uh, dropped the trailer. Resurrection's trailer dropped uh, Thursday morning. Uh, Have you gentlemen seen the trailer? We have. All right, Jaime, what do you think?
2: I think it uh, leads to a a hypothesis that maybe John Wick takes place in the matrix (laughs) just Just given the way that keanu reeves looks here and it like seems to mostly take place in like normal world uh throughout most of the trailer with the beautiful rendition of uh jefferson airplane's white rabbit in the background Mm. keeping on Mm -hmm. theme with the the wonderland theme from uh the original matrix um i mean the 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 trailer really slaps as the the kiddos say nowadays it's uh it's got me excited for december 22nd Especially because it's on HBO Max. So basically, (laughs) gonna be able to see it.
4: (laughs) I feel like you've got a cheat code. You know, you're always joking about our socialized uh, science fiction here in Canada, but that HBO Max with the movies thing is such a huge bonus this year
2: for American viewers. All it takes is $19.99 a month (laughs) or $14.99 a month at best. And a
3: VPN connection. Yeah, exactly. An American credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Small hurdle for us. Yeah well, it must there must be some way it's coming to Canada it, like I said home boxes, it sure is it's box. coming
4: to theaters,
3: enjoy, oh, but it's oh, it's not coming to well,
4: so far, I mean Warner Brothers,
3: yeah, I saw imax right? I saw imax in the trailer imax and h b o max
4: no h uh, b o max is just the h b o streaming platform no no but... but
3: I saw on the on the oh, one yeah. I watched earlier yeah. today it said it at the end it said imax and h b o Max right so yeah, I watched the official trailer on YouTube today, yeah,
4: I think. This one is going to be in theaters here in Canada in the same way that Suicide Squad was exclusively to the theaters. Obviously, the pandemic, notwithstanding, who knows how where we're going to be by the December twenty second. Wonder yep. Woman was on HBO Max in the United States for people who had that service. Here, it was available uh, as a download. You could you could watch it for thirty five bucks or whatever it was. And even that, it wasn't like uh, the sort of Disney Plus Premier Access where you got it at, at Infinitum. You got it for I think forty eight hours or something like that. You you got it for yeah. thirty five bucks. Who knows? Maybe again by December we'll all feel safer about being in a movie theater. I hope so because yeah. it seems like a really good. I mean, you know, Lana Wachowski and and you know Keanu Reeves yeah. and Carrie Moss and what looks to be a young Morpheus. Yes. True. Yeah. You know the, the trailer. I'm, I'm with Jaime. I got hyped. I was like, you know, I didn't know I wanted this till I saw
3: this. And they actually walked through the looking glass in the in the trailer, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It look, it looks good. It's it, it's it's that trope of you know uh, I just actually watched an episode of Voyager, oh, sorry Voy, yesterday <laughs> that had um, Janeway and Chakotay replaying a scene in a in a shuttlecraft over and over again, and it sort of had that sort of feel to it in part of the trailer, you know. Yep. You know where the um, Ariana Moss and Canel Reeves meet each other and like, do I know you? Yeah, and there's lots of blue pills and all that kind of stuff. And actually, there's there's in, that interactive um thing that that was going around earlier in the week where uh you get to choose a pill um in the in in the interactive ad and then decide and it goes one way or the other depending on which pill you choose. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, what is the Matrix dot com uh, is back online. Oh yeah. Cool. That's funny, you know, because I used to go to movies all the time with my friend Ken and, and somebody handed us a card as we were coming out of a movie. I think I was going into like, you know, a record store or something like that after a movie on a Friday night and somebody handed us this card for a preview and, and we looked at it and went, yeah, it looks okay. <laughs> and we went in and had our minds blown, right? Yeah, I think it, there was a really good, one of the first real sort of
4: internet viral marketing campaigns to get the Matrix out That was there. the
3: reason why I bought a DVD and a subwoofer. Oh, yeah. but but even
4: like before the movie came out there was you know you just see these posters everywhere that says what is the matrix and and there was very much this sort of stealth campaign it was was one of the smartest and most innovative campaigns to promote a movie that i can recall before it came out and it was one of the first ones to really leverage the internet that way yeah
3: for sure yeah Yeah. well i mean obviously it's built around that whole internet thing right the original story that was good. It was good. It was like, you know, like I said, a DVD player, because I wasn't clear about the fact that I didn't have a DVD player at the time. Most people didn't, right? Yeah. I think play, the PlayStation was one of the first entry, entry uh, gateway gateway things to DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah. A PS3, right? No, no two. PS2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still have mine. Ditto. Yeah. And Jaime, you're up, I think.
2: Oh, look. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um not much here other than this review from the, what is it, Venice Film Festival, I think. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's sounding like it's pretty good. I mean, this, this review here sounds pretty pretty impressed with it, so looking forward to seeing that one.
3: Yeah, speak- yeah I'm a fan of Denny Villeneuve's work. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know people didn't like Blade Runner 264, whatever it was, um 4064, um, but his Arrival movie was great. Like, the really, really interesting one that was a Time You Want Me one, too, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, have high hopes for for this. And like I said, I hope I hope they don't ruin Foundation. But it'd be interesting to see like how they do the do this one. Because I mean, you know, Frank Herbert's work is, is like loved by a lot of people, right? And uh, it potentially has the ability to go because like, he did several several stories around the whole, you know, yeah, oh yeah, uh, family, right? And the whole spice and all that stuff, right? So
4: well, they've already announced that the second movie is is happening and apparently it's going to be more focused on the characters in Dia plays. So I think that's, yeah, I think think that they were already thinking long-term as this, uh, you know, that this was going to be a hit. It's going to be a franchise. It's going to be something they can build around.
3: Well, Toronto film festival started yesterday or today, I think yeah, just September 9th today, by the way, those who driving transporting at home. Um, And Dune is one of the opening uh, movies. I think it's Saturday. It's playing in a couple of places. Yeah, so, yeah. But we'd have to go to the theater, to see. It. <laughs> just, just to
4: avoid the fact check, I want to point out it's Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Tim, twenty forty nine.
3: Thanks, uh, so. yeah. thanks for saving me that extra copy and pasting of <laughs> it.
4: There. Yeah, yeah. His blade. I, I thought Blade Runner was a beautiful movie. It wasn't the best story he's ever told, but it was visually breathtaking. Arrival was the same thing. I, I don't know that I loved every bit of the plot, but it was a beautiful movie. I, what, the one he's done that I really, really enjoyed was Sicario. That uh-huh. was an incredible movie. So like, yeah, just, just a really powerful movie that, uh, that he made back in 2015. I, I really liked that one a lot. Uh, yeah I, i'm to the point with him would? where i, I will pretty much want to see anything he's in that christopher nolan class i just want to see his movies on a big screen because they're going to be really really delicious eye candy
2: yep
3: what's next time
2: i guess this is older news because by the, the time people are listening to this the rick and morty season finale has uh, has come and gone for season five but there was a promo for uh for adult swim that had uh Live action versions of the characters with uh, Christopher Lloyd playing uh, uh, Rick and uh, uh, Jaden Martell playing Morty, and that was uh, it. Was very short; it was only like a ten fifteen second clip. And it uh, it got people hyped. It slaps.
3: So, can we talk about the hour long finale for a minute? Did you watch it?
2: Yep. Are, are we rolling into into spoilers for Rick and Morty here? That's okay. Just. I, the, I think the, we are. The stage. Yeah,
3: we'll we'll just let the expectations go there. But yeah, so I mean, I'm not going to really talk about what happened in the story, except this. I mean, I love the whole 35 year old Morty angle that they played. That really had me going for a minute. <laughs> but um, but the like, it's almost like it it ended, you know, like the way like because it kind of it kind of lent to that whole sort of trope of how a lot of sci fi stories of this type end, you know. Um, you know, with with them having a falling out, and and then the sort of the the very end piece there, where you know Morty almost goes off into into the sunset on his own kind of thing. What did you guys think of it?
2: Yeah, I thought it was I I, I liked it because you had the um, the sort of crows saga um, and yeah. the the anime intro kind of uh, oh, thing so going for it. That was
3: yeah, that, that was, was great. Sweet, and yeah.
2: then they they definitely break the fourth wall and say we can't go to that place. It runs on Canon and then sort of giving you the audience, the hint that this is going to be one of those Canon episodes. That isn't a one-off adventure. It's going to, you know, move the overall story arc along. Uh, and it definitely does. It definitely does. And spoilers, uh, one of my picks, or I think my pick is, is actually related to the finale. We'll talk about it when, when appropriate, but, uh, um, I enjoyed it. I think it retroactively made uh, Season 5 better for me because it was
3: leading to that. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I think we talked about it, like, initially, because I kind of, like, didn't have a good feeling for it until Jonathan reminded me that I really, really did enjoy this season, right? So. Yeah, I mean, this the season was pretty
4: consistently good. There were certainly some high-water high marks, but I find this show really interesting in that, you know, it it's definitely you know, they're telling these sort of weird and wacky one-off sci-fi adventures and they make fun of themselves for doing so, but they really are sort of pulling at these really long threads through this whole thing that, you know, they're, they're weaving this sort of very rich emotional tapestry, particularly for the Rick character through this whole thing. And, and this was sort of the the most sort of obvious point of it too. I mean, we, we have gotten sort of glimpses at his past and and just sort of his motivations and you know again why he's you know this sort of crazy alcoholic you know space adventure and everything like that this one you know again where where Morty sort of sees all of Rick's story and you know it, it, it I found it really poignant like I, I don't know it, it certainly was you know like the, the last part in particular you know there was certainly some head scratchy stuff in there like it, I'm going to watch it a few more times I think to try and soak it all in but it, uh, you know, I thought the way that they've been sort of telling us, you know, burping dick jokes and and stuff throughout this show has been really this sort of masquerade for this sort of really rich character exploration that they've been doing quietly and in subtle ways. And this is the first one where I felt like they sort of brought it to the forefront, and it was
3: really kind of impactful to do that. Yeah, you're right. It, it definitely requires several rewatchings to sort of get all the sort of with some turns in it, right? Yeah, I think like a lot of art,
4: I think there's, you know, there's a lot of depth to it. And there's a lot of stuff to sort of try and parse. I, I must admit, I've never gone back and done a full, I've, I've watched a season or two in, in bits. I've certainly watched episodes here and there. I've never gone and watched like a sort of full beginning to now rewatch of Rick and Morty. And maybe before the next season, that might be time because it really does feel like they're weaving together a
3: lot now. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of, um there's a lot of YouTube uh, shows that cover, you know, sort of the stuff you missed in Rick and Morty mm-hmm. and they go through all the sort of like, you know, almost like serializing which Morty you're dealing with. Like we all, we all, rec- we, the three of us recognize that this isn't the same Morty that started the show, you know, uh, kind of thing. And and I wonder too, like in, in, just as you were saying that about Rick's life as he sort of flashes back through different stages of his life is, wait a minute, which Rick is that? <laughs> There are many ricks again in this one, right? Yeah, yeah. But the whole destroying—what they call—what do they call the the central hub of rictum The citadel. Um, citadel. Yeah, the fact that they trash the citadel in this—that's the spoiler part, folks. Um, that kind of, for me, was sort of spelled an ending in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Or or maybe a new beginning or something, mm-hmm. right? Because that was sort of a hub where they 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 pull from pull from us several times in in the entire series, right?
4: Well, and then they had laid this whole foundation too you know this this whole thing with evil Morty had gone back four seasons, five seasons you know this this all of this stuff sort of you know all sort of culminating at this point is really interesting i i I couldn't help but think though you know obviously you know Mr. poopy Butthole comes out at the end of uh of the episode and sort of says, "You know, "hoo what a what a season, and you know boy, things are bad for me too. I think it is one of those ones where you get to the end of the season, you're just like where do we go from here where how do they yeah, yeah, how do they, they yeah. turn this back to you know sort of the next thing you know it's hard to say you know they've they've certainly taken the, their swerves here and there i wonder if you know if they go they lean into this or if they go right back to sort of adventure of the week stuff they're, they're pretty good at sort of heading you down a tunnel and then making an abrupt uh you know 180 and going in a different direction
3: yeah yeah sure Cool. All right, so I'm up next, believe it or not. Um, so uh, this is an interesting story. Uh, there's a, a book by um, Ali L.V. Ray Smith called The Biography of the Pixel, which is, uh, I'm going to pick it up um, or reserve it for the library. I might just go out and buy a copy of it. Um, because it, as, as the headline of the article that I stumbled across, it says in, in Wired magazine, uh, meet the little-known genius who helped make Pixar possible. And what's interesting about this is it's not just um, – he's the guy who came up with the idea or the concept that we can make reality by just assembling a bunch of, you know, rays or lights or, or, or you know, images, which we know of as pixels and little squares that you see on, on your monitor, right? The fact that, you know, we all can talk about Rick and Morty as if they're real people, it comes from this guy's sort of work. And what's interesting about it is he worked with Ed Catmull and and the other guy, uh, help me now, not Steve Jobs, but um he had he he was um, sort of the creative genius behind the whole concept of compu- like computer rendering images, right <laughs> um, but he discovered this while he was high on lSD right so there's this sort of you know Pixar is a very sort of disneyesque you know, you know puppies and light green fields and clouds and you know smiling smiling mice and you know animatronic dogs and stuff like that but you know they they have this sort of this whole uh clean healthy wholesome you know persona that they pr- pr- uh, project yet yeah. this guy that worked with them who was you know who left early from pixar but i think he was asked to leave um was a bit of a nut bar, right, um, from that perspective. In fact, the, 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 I, put, I tweeted the other day, the word that I learned from this article, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher, Jonathan, you can help me, uh, is um, Welton Schong, Schong <laughs> which doesn't doesn't have an English translation, but what it basically means is, like, you, 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 you inject the world you're from or the perspective you're from into the things that you do, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And he brought his whole stoner 60s mentality to this concept of computer graphics, which we all know and love today. We all look, you know, stuff all the time. The whole concept of ray tracing came out of this, you know, ray tracing is the idea that you can basically take um, images, you can take data and turn it, like he actually was a data guy. He wasn't like a Photoshop guy. He was a data guy. Photoshop doesn't exist because of this guy, you know. Without this guy, you know, uh, Pixar doesn't exist without this guy. You're not, you know, Rick and Morty modern and video things games. that are, yeah, modern video games. Anything that's rendered on the screen and like I'm doing right now, I'm learning how to do sculpture. I'm a I'm a physical tactile artist. I work with paint and and clay and and stone and stuff like that. But I'm learning how to do that in 3D on an iPad right now with my Apple Pencil in this this really crazy program. But you know, so so that you know, I can manifest that by actually printing it on my 3D printer. But all of that doesn't exist without this guy's, you know, concepts and work. He kind of invented computer graphics in it, if you think about it that way, right? Hmm. So, um, yeah, so fascinating guy. Um, long article. The article's not too long, but it, but it does go into it. And it's funny because they, they talk about this one conference where Ed Catmull and the other guy, I can't remember his name of, I'm going to open the article up here. They're, they Somebody asks them whether there was sort of like a, a the, the truth about, you know, where this sort of... Genesis of this comes from? Like, were you guys influenced by things outside of Ed Catmull and John Lasseter That's what I'm thinking of. You know, does this come out of, he says, uh asked about the edgy, you know, was drugs and culture culture are edgy subjects for Disney, but did they have any influence on the work that, you know, Pixar came from? And their answer was, is L.V. Ray Smith in the audience? Because <laughs> Who else would have brought that up? And it turns out he actually was sitting in the audience, but he chose not to speak. Hmm. So it's kind of a kind of an interesting interesting thing because yeah, he was like one of the co co-fo- co founders of Pixar. I think when I'm not sure if it, when Jobs came along and bought into the company, he was one of the people that was you know asked to leave. But yeah, but he like he <laughs> it says he he would freely admit that LSD helped his creative direction. So hmm. kind of a cool thing. And it. it or warning for the people who listen to the show who listen to Morton Just Code, because I will be talking about this on Morton Just Code as well next week. So, yeah. So that's cool. This episode uh, brought up. to you by LSD. LSD, you by LSD. <laughs> makes your brain work. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you these things that aren't there. <laughs> all right. Over to you, honey.
2: Yeah. Uh, sadly, this is not coming to, to Canada, given the, the pain you all just described. But HBO Max yeah. is apparently coming to parts of Europe on October 26th.
3: So... Uh, it's gonna be we in... have we have a socialized sci-fi here, though we don't need that. Yeah, but exactly. we do
4: because we don't get the same advantages that they do with having actual HBO. We get
3: Oh you can get... tell us about the Spider-Man episodes and how they all came out in the wrong order and yeah, okay. All fine. of
4: it. All of it.
2: Right. <laughs> so no, the folks no, the who will,
3: will not
2: have those troubles will be uh Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Spain and Andorra, which I had to look up. I didn't believe it was real. It totally is real. Um <laughs> And and they're like andorians? Overs-
4: we have andorians this is very- I was like
2: there's no way i'm like oh and then i went down this wikipedia rabbit hole of like why this country exists between france and spain it's, it's tiny uh but rounding these out are uh, bosnia-herzegovina bulgaria croatia the czech republic hungary moldova Montenegro, north macedonia poland portugal romania serbia slovakia and slovenia hmm. so um good for i don't know how all of that works i do know there's um you know like cross promotions with sky and the uk and the three other stuff for that so it'd be kind of nice if some of these services were a little bit more um uniform internationally but uh but there you go
4: all right see see if you can hear see if you can hear my clenched teeth as i say this
3: i'm very happy for all those places <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can blame the and he's the one who started putting lines on the map that's right all right uh, a little bit of comic book news. Uh, this one really caught my eye.
4: I saw this earlier today. This is an article on gamesradar.com, uh, which occasionally has some some nice scoops. And they have this news that Marvel Comics has cut ties with one of its long-term artists, an artist named Joe Bennett. Uh, Joe Bennett has done a ton of stuff for Marvel over the years. Most recently and, and quite notably, he was the primary artist on The Immortal Hulk which has been running the last four plus years at Marvel. Uh, It's the latest sort of spin on the character. The idea being that um, the Hulk is so powerful that he cannot die no matter how grievously he suffers. So if, you know, every time, you know, Bruce Banner can get killed or whatever else, he just rises from the grave. He just cannot be stopped. Interesting concept. But I'll be honest, better, better concept, better stories than art. I'm not a huge Joe Bennett fan. The article that they've got says that they have cut ties with him. They have not said why. They just have said that they have done so. But the article goes on to sort of outline some uh, allegations made by uh, some of his, uh, the people he's worked with, including his writing partner, Al Ewing, he worked with on Immortal Hulk. Uh, it's al- alleged that he was putting um, anti-Semitic uh elements into the backgrounds of his art pages uh he apparently had been doing some um sort of trolling online about um you know uh negatively against gay people he he was accused of uh making some making light of some of those kinds of situations and um yeah it's just kind of an an a weird and ugly end to you know a long and and you know seemingly mutually beneficial career uh at, at marvel for this artist and in a very weird circumstance, especially as uh, the, the final issue of Immortal Hulk is about to hit the newsstands this month, uh, they are going to relaunch uh, a new Hulk series in, uh, in the next month or two with uh, Ryan Otley, who very famously uh, was the longtime illustrator of the Invincible comic book, which is uh, now, of course, popular Amazon Prime series. But yeah, very, very weird story. Uh, I do recommend we'll have it in our show notes. Go have a look if you want, uh, and you can sort of see all the all the different sort of allegations and details. Uh, Marvel obviously hasn't commented on this, but it's, um, yeah, very, very weird story, but very interesting. Cool. And the last one that I wanted to get in for us here was uh, just an absolutely devastating celebrity death. Um, Michael K. Williams uh, died uh, this week uh his body was found in his uh place in new york he was only 54 years old um he was most well known for playing omar on the wire uh for anybody who's seen that show you know how uh incredible a performer he was um just just an absolutely gifted actor uh you know he took what had been a, a very you know uh um, troubled life and really channeled it into into this character and channeled it into a lot of the work that he did and and was you know just just an absolutely captivating performer um and it's just an it, i mean everyone was just in shock at the the concept that this person was gone so young um they're they're investigating obviously the cause of death there's obviously reporting different things uh we'll we'll wait to see how that plays out but um but just you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, there's certainly, you know, performers whose work I've enjoyed who, you know, whose, whose deaths have, have sort of hit me, but I was, I, I just could not wrap my head. I still can't wrap my head around the fact that, uh, someone both so young and so, uh, so obviously gifted as craft is just gone like that. It just, it absolutely hit me in the gut and, um, and it, it made me actually feeling very sort of, uh. Selfish in that moment. Uh, I don't know if you guys recall, but Michael K. Williams was supposed to be in a Star Wars movie. As a matter of fact, he filmed mm-hmm. all his scenes for a Star Wars movie that that never saw the right. light of day. Oh wow! He was supposed to play Dryden Voss in the Solo movie. He was supposed to be the bad guy that Paul Bettany ended up playing in the end. So, if you recall. Um, uh, Lord and Miller were supposed to direct that movie, they had been filming it. There was a disagreement with the studio in the direction, and they were replaced with Ron Howard. Ron Howard came in, took the project over, and they basically looked at what they'd already filmed, decided to make some changes and go a different direction in a few areas. And one of the areas they wanted to do was to bring back Michael Williams. after he'd already filmed all his scenes and moved on to a different project, they wanted to bring him back to film some new scenes as, as Dryden Voss. He was already working on his next movie and couldn't get out of that contract. Oh, so they right. went and they recast Paul Bettany to play the, uh, the, the sort of big bad of that film in the end. Sure. I found myself as I was sort of, you know, feeling so sad for the loss of Michael Cal Williams. I, I couldn't help but think, God, I, I really hope someday yeah, that we get to together. see some version of that movie where we get to see his performance in that world because he, one, he was just a fantastic actor. And two, I I think, you know, I feel a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see his interpretation of, of that sort of, you know, evil, you know, spice-stealing crime boss in a Star Wars movie because, you know, he was so good. I wonder if he could have elevated
3: what was kind of a mediocre movie. Right. Hmm. Well, we'll have to wait for a fan mix, I guess, or something. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. or, you know, again, maybe down the road they'll sort of see the see the wisdom of actually, you know going back and you know what's that for the Snyder cut? Let's let's look for the Lord and Miller cut of solo. Everyone, start your start your Twitter campaigns. Yeah. Free the Lord Miller cut.
3: (laughs) Cool. Well should we talk about some comedy now? Yes. Yes. Let's let's get us out of this this dark place that I've this is the part of the show where we start talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, and this time we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, An Embarrassment of Dopplers. And uh, I think Jaime's doing the recap. Nope. Jonathan's doing hey, the Hey, oh, yeah, I'll yeah, do it. it. Jaime did it last week. Okay, all right. Why don't you, why don't you do it? Okay, I'll do it. What the heck?
4: Right. Uh well, we start with no cold open, which was uh, I think something they did once last season too. Yeah. Um mm. it did catch me off guard. I was like, "Oh, did I did I skip something? Did I press a button?
3: Did I do something yeah, wrong?" actually went back and started again. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, yeah. it was just so unusual cuz usually there's that sort of, you know, one to 2 minutes of sort of comedy, very usually very light sort of march towards, you know, just non sequitur to the rest of the episode. Uh but no cold open, so we we get our credits and we jump right into An Embarrassment of Duplers. So the Cerritos is on a mission. They are escorting the Dupler emissary to trade negotiations on Starbase 25. And the uh, the captain's log from uh, Captain Friedman, she reveals that the Dupler race are able to duplicate themselves as an emotional defense mechanism. And We get introduced to this Dupler emissary, and as soon as he opens his mouth, the unmistakable voice of Richard Kind comes out. I love Richard Kind, he's such a fantastic, funny actor. Um, of course, he's done you know, he was you know, Inside Out, he was you know, in, in one of those great Pixar roles. Uh, he was in Cars as a, another character. Uh, he does the voice on Big Mouth of uh, Andrew's dad, uh, and of course, famously, he was on Spin City, he was on um, um mad about you he's just he's been in a a million different things and such a such a funny performer with a really distinctive voice so great casting for this character as it plays out um you know they're having this meal they're sitting he's sitting there with the bridge crew they're having this meal and you know they're all just on on the edge of their seats because they don't want to do anything that's going to upset him because of course as soon as he gets upset his emotional defense response will kick in and there's going to be two of them and so, you know, they're sitting there and they're having this conversation, he drops his fork and he looks across and everyone sort of holds their breath. He's, you know, what's going to happen? And Ransom picks up his fork and throws it over his shoulder just so he doesn't feel bad. Um, they uh, talk about how, you know, they're they're excited that, you know, as part of this mission, they're going to get a chance to go to uh, Starbase 25 for this annual command conference. And it's going to be, you know, party central at this place. and. Freeman's super psyched that she's going to get to go because she was you know critical to the to the uh, the battle that they had with the titan or the, t- working with the titan to stop the pack lids so she's got an invite and she's really excited um, we go down to the lower decks where you know of course that's where our heart is the the boimler and mariner are doing what boimler and mariner are known to do which is they are just doing grunt work they're stocking they're moving crates from place to place they're like oh good we're done what do we do now oh we have to go to a different place to move some crates from place to place um they are sitting there and they're you know they're they're working away and they're talking and you know we we get something that i think we've all sort of been waiting for which is you know mariner and boimler sort of working around the conversation about him making the decision at the end of last season to ditch the cerritos and head to the titan with this you know promotion that he was so excited about and so you know to, uh Mariner makes some sort of comment about, you know, oh, here we go. You're going to talk about that again. And he's like, "Oh, you know, the replicated water tastes better. Oh, and you should feel how soft the bridge chairs are." And he's just, you know, waxing poetic about what a what a beautiful place the the Titan is. And she sort of, you know, shushes him and says, "Yeah, all right, enough of that." So, they're talking about, you know, oh, you know, it'd be so great. We're going to go to this starbase. I wish we could get into this party. And so they come up with the idea, Mariner of course comes up with the idea, "Hey, wait a minute you know, the Titan is on the far side of the galaxy. They would have been invited. Your your uh, transporter clone, William Boimler, is going to be invited because, of course, you know, he's part of that crew. If we get there, we could sneak on. I could be your plus one, and we can go to this amazing command party. So they, they sort of concoct this scheme. We cut over to Rutherford and Tendy, and they're, you know, sitting there uh working on a model of the Cerritos in their spare time. So... These two, uh, you know, uber nerds are basically spending their time off from fixing the ship to fix the little ship, which is very funny. They uh, are going through and they're, you know, trying to figure out, you know, all the, you know, the the different parts and and um, Rutherford. Uh, you know, it's, it's talking about, you know, oh, it's just, you know, the, the detail in this model is so great. You know, if you look inside the inside the uh, the windows, you can even see a little Mariner bossing a little boiler around in the bar. <laughs> um, Rutherford is, is putting together parts. He opens it up and he realizes that he's he sees his writing and realizes that he's left himself a message on the side of a piece. And it says, you know, field distortion amplifier 88 and has three squiggly lines next to it. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean? And so he's, you know, trying to sort of figure out this puzzle. And this, of course, ties back to the fact that, you know, at at the end of last season, uh, Rutherford ended up having part of his memory wiped as uh, he lost his cybernetic device. And so now he's sort of kind of rebuilding his life. You know, we uh, we saw a few episodes ago, he, you know, couldn't decide whether or not he liked pears and Tendi was really worried that they weren't going to, that he didn't like her anymore. And so, you know, this is sort of continuing that sort of theme of, of Rutherford sort of retracing his steps or reliving some of his previous experiences. We go down to uh, the bridge, go up to the bridge. Freeman is there. Uh, they arrive at the starbase. And she's talking on the view screen and she sort of says, you know, oh, I'm so glad that we're here. I'm so glad to get this emissary off the off of the Cerritos. This guy is a humongous pain in the butt. And as she says that, she turns around and he's just walked onto the bridge. Of course, he is aghast. He is he is embarrassed. He's upset. And boof, he duplicates himself. And then they're uncomfortable because they just duplicated. And then they start duplicating and the bridge quickly starts filling up with duplers. Uh, the, 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 uh, Starfleet official that she's talking to on the view screen basically looks, takes one look at all the, the Duplers duplicating rapidly on the, the front of the ship and says, Oh no, we like, are not like taking, triples. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We are yeah. not taking that aboard this space station. Forget it. You figure out your Dupler problem and then you can come off the ship. In the meantime, you're on your own. So <laughs> we cut back down to the lower decks. Boimler and Mariner are, you know, concocting more of their plan to get on board the uh the space station and go to this party there's a great conversation about scants which are those beautiful sort of uh, long tunics that they have worn in past episodes of uh star trek which are the sort of the long formal star trek robes that sort of come down just above the knee and uh yeah are they, is it going to be a scant event are we going to win we're going to wear our scants Uh, that again, just great playing on the Star Trek, uh, lore to get those, those jokes across Mariner, uh, you know, the, the, the captain comes across the comm and basically says, Hey, uh, you know, you're going to start seeing these duplers showing up all over the ship, you know, try not to offend them. It's just going to make it, make it worse. Uh Mariner being Mariner, she's like, this is a perfect opportunity. They're going to be so bogged down with these Duplers. They're not even going to notice if we hop on the transporter, beam ourselves over there and go to this party. Boom. They're, they're, they're great. They had they beam over there. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know, look at this. Look at that. He says, how do you know so much about this place? She said, oh, I used to live here. Of course you did. Uh, tying again back to this sort of Mariner's been everywhere and done everything and, and traveled extensively and lived everywhere uh you know she's talking about you know all the places that she's seen oh there's a quarks bar so that's i think the second time we've seen a a quarks bar franchise uh across the galaxy uh she is there all of a sudden we see this sort of shady character following them speaks into his communicator and says you know oh you know mariner's back we uh come back and we see uh um, this sort of scary looking shady looking character and his it turns out his name is moldus and he refers to Beckett Mariner as Becky, which I think is hilarious. It never occurred to me that they would anyone would ever call her Becky. Uh, he, he drops the, uh, you left me on SETI Alpha 4. That's even way worse than SETI Alpha 5, uh, which, again, ties back to, you know, old Trek. Um, he says, you know, hey, you know, you, you owe me for sort of screwing me over before. If you tell me where, or if you help me with this little supply run that I need to do, uh, I will tell you where this super secret party is. And, you know, the, the mission turns out to be transporting little bottles of data shaped bubble bath from one part of the station to another, uh, followed by the line. Are you sure these are all data's looks like a couple of them might be, might be lores. Yeah, <laughs> actually there might be a few lores in there. Um, cut back to Rutherford and Tendy. They are, you know, still working away on this, this, um, Uh, model they're trying to figure it out he finds uh, yet another part with these you know weird writing and some squiggly lines he's trying to figure out like you know what are these messages that I was leaving for myself what was I trying to do here Shax sort of bursts into the room that they're in and sort of says okay there we're running out of space for these things here's some duplers and the duplers are still duplicating and duplicating and duplicating and they're having all these hilarious Richard Kind you know breakdowns they go up to the bridge uh, so we, we go up to the bridge and they decided to take a different approach, they're like, OK, we're not going to insult you. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to say anything. So all of a sudden there's this moment of silence, at which point the Dooblers start freaking out. Oh, my God, they're giving us the silent treatment and start massively reproducing again. They're re- reproducing so much that they are wall to wall across the entire bridge. Uh, back down to Rutherford and Tendi. And their room is rapidly filling up with Duplers to the point where they are, you know, again, facing the crush. They're trying to stay above them, like the, you know, the water, you know, rising them towards the ceiling. And, you know, we were, you know, we're, we're starting to see that Rutherford's getting more and more agitated. Tendy's like, you know, just, just leave the model. Why are you so obsessed with this model? He's like, I have to finish this. I, I have to, to do this to get this thing done. And we're, you know, trying to figure out, well, what's, why, why is he so obsessed with this? back to Mariner and Boimler, and they are having this sort of conversation as they're transporting the, the uh, illicit data shampoo across, or data bubble bath across the station on, in this sort of uh, ATV Jeep-looking thing. It looks like the suckers they were driving around in, in Star Trek Nemesis, and they are having that same conversation where, you know, Mariner's clearly mad. That, you know, Boimler, you know, was keeping his, you know, secrets. He was, he was, you know, wasn't telling her how he was feeling. And then she's mad. She feels betrayed that he left. They get pulled over by security, station security. And they're like, well, you know, it, it's going to be fine. They call uh, call back to Moldus and they're sort of saying, oh, you know, got pulled over by security. You know, they're not going to bother us over some bubble bath. And he's like, well, they probably would not like the they'd probably be OK with the bubble bath. They are probably not going to like the Klingon disruptors I've got buried in the boxes underneath those. And they're like, oh, crap, we have to get out of here. It's been a setup. This guy's clearly trying to get Mariner thrown in jail. Boom. They decide they're just going to go for it. And by they, I mean Mariner, because of course it had to be Mariner. She floors it <clears throat> off. They go. And the chase is on. And it's one of the most fun, goofy chase scenes that, that we've seen in Star Trek ever. You know, they they wind through the casino, they go through the barber shop, the fine men's clothing shop. Uh, They almost, but don't hit somebody who looks an awful lot like uh, um, Pike in his wheelchair, the beeping buttons. What do you think? Was it actually Pike? He'd be pretty darn old.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. The the, the sort of sneak peek of him. Yeah, But yeah, whoever it was, he
2: just kind of goes
4: beep. Yeah, beep, which (laughs) I'm sure is an expletive.
3: I thought they had a guy
2: in that same situation from um, what was it? The farm where Boimler is partially phased, right? Yep. Yep. So it could be that dude and not necessarily Pike. Yep.
4: But again, another funny throwback joke, Uh, you know, they're, you know, they go through this one area filled with fish people they are headed towards this set of stairs going down, and Boylaner basically says, "You know, oh, you would never even consider going down there. Says, no, I'd never do that." And then she goes up the other flight of stairs. Uh, they, f- meanwhile, they yell, "We're not fish. We're th- not. Th- we're not people. <laughs> we're not. Yeah, that's right. We're just fish. We're not people." Um, they fly through a uh, a Vulcan ship at one point. Vulcans, Vulcans, Vulcans. Uh, <laughs> and while this chase is going on, we cut back to to Cerritos. Rutherford and Tendy are trying to get to higher ground things are looking pretty bad the the uh, Duplers are looking like they're gonna you know squash them up against the ceiling uh, and Rutherford is just he's just really really upset about this model and, and Tendy sort of says you know what's what's so important about that and she says you know he says I'm like I feel like I'm competing against my ghost I feel like if I can't do this you know my, i'm I'm not measuring up to my past self I'm not measuring up to the person I was before i I had my memory wiped i I feel like I'm I'm lesser than and and you know so it's a nice sort of again throwback to this you know he's not quite over this in the same way that Mariner's not quite over Boimler leaving you know Rutherford still got some baggage from this this sort of traumatic event that happened at the end of the last season which is cool for five episodes into the next season that they're not just you know back to episodic dropping it and moving on so uh, <laughs> we cut back to the the chase scene uh, there's. They go into the aviary. Uh at one point one of the, the uh security vehicles crashes into a tree, the avian couple falls out of the tree. Oh sure, let's move to the aviary, he says. Uh, you know, again, just goofy. They're about to uh Mariner and Bormler are about to crash into this farmer, they dodge the farmer and instead they end up going flying through the air and into this uh reservoir. And as course as they hit the reservoir, all the bottles of data bubble baths, you know, open up and there's bubbles everywhere. They end up crawling out of the water and Boimler says, Oh, I just threw up data bubble bath. Uh they finally are, you know, okay, this is it. You know, we we've had it. We're we're gonna we're making for the party. We're gonna we're gonna get to this party. And so they, you know, they threaten the guy, he gives them the address. And of course, it's in the most obvious place. It's in the same place it is every year. They didn't even bother to look. So they've gone through all this for nothing. Uh, You know, I loved Mariner's line where she's like, we are going to that party. I didn't put on underwear for nothing.
2: Yeah, that, that was a weird statement. Yeah. I'm like, I guess they wear like a full bodysuit anyway, so who who would know? And there's like no visible panty line, I guess, if you're, if you're wearing uh, no underwear at all going commando, but it was still kind of a weird thing to to, to point out.
4: Yeah, but again, a perfectly Mariner line too. Uh, so they go in and, you know, they, of course they get to the front of the line and the, you know, the, the person checking people in, you know, Oh, what's your name? Oh, my name is Brat. I mean, William Boimler. And, you know, I'm from the Titan. And of course Boims gets to go up the stairs and, you know, he's about to go in. And, you know, what's your name? Oh, uh, well, my name is Beckett Mariner. And, you know, oh, what ship are you on? I'm from the Shredos. Oh, you're not on the list. Oh, no, she's my plus one. Oh, no, no, no. You're not allowed to bring her in. You know, nope, nope. Sorry, you're not on the list. And so, you know, he's standing on the stairs and she's standing off to the side of the stairs and and, you know, she's just fuming and she's still mad about the Titan. And, you know, they sort of, you know, storm off in different directions. And he's like, well, I'm going anyways. And so he, you know, goes up the stairs and up he goes. Cut back to Rutherford and Tendi and you know they figure out that you know what had been happening. All these little messages that that uh, Rutherford was finding inside this model are because you know Tendy points out you know we never finished that model. We we use that as an excuse. It was it was this perfect way to have this social deflector dish, which I thought is just one of the most beautiful uh, Star Trek phrases I've ever heard. The social deflector dish. We would go and we would work on this thing so people would leave us alone. And the whole point wasn't to finish it. We never finished it. And all those little messages you left for yourself were ways that you could make it last longer so that we didn't finish it so that people would leave us the heck alone. Uh, I thought that was so great. So uh, they're like, "Okay, well, how are we going to get out of this? We're almost going to get squashed by these duplers. What do we do next? So they decide they're going to detonate the warp core. So they Do it just like they do it in in all the previous episodes of Star Trek over the years where the warp core basically pops out and instead they fire it up in the air and it basically opens this, this, uh, access tube where they can jump off of the platform that they're on, get out of the way and avoid being squashed by the Duplers. Uh, they (laughs) followed by a very funny line by Richard kind, they don't like us, um, Back to the space station, Boimler, you know, finds Mariner. She's drowning her sorrows at a bar. He, you know, he makes good. He apologizes. He says, you know, yeah, you know, I, I went to the party and we, we did see a scene where, you know, Boimler goes up to the party and he's just, he doesn't fit in. He comes out and he says, yeah, you know, I, I went to the, to the, you know, party and, and it sucked and I missed you. And, and you know, he apologizes, said, you know, I I'm sorry. I never... Told you that I was going to the Titan, but I knew as soon as I told you, you'd try and talk me out of it. And I just—it was something I had to try to try to do. <laughs> we go back to the Cerritos once again, and Shax is crowd surfing the, the Duplers, which is pretty funny. Uh, and Freeman has just sort of hit the end of her rope, so she decides, you know what, that's enough of this. You know, you suck. I've had it. You are the worst. And it turns out that being angry or upset actually makes the Duplers recombine. So then they basically decide, okay, let's broadcast this across the ship and tell everyone in the crew to be mean to, to the Duplers so that they will basically reform back into their singular, singular emissary once again. So we get some great uh, little cameos, little moments across the different members of the crew. Uh, Shax, of course, being Bajoran, says, your paw is weak which I thought was an excellent Bajoran burn. Uh, Ta'ana just like rips off. Dr. Ta'ana just rips off a bunch of vulgarities that they bleep out. Um, And, you know, and of course it works. And we end up with this one emissary who's just in a huff. That's it. I'm leaving. Uh, You know, we go back to Boimler and Mariner. They are, you know, sitting there in this bar and, you know, uh, they're talking with the bartender and the bartender says, oh, you know, you two struck out of going to that party. eh? Well, you know, you're not alone. You know, this bar has seen many people over the years who have, have struck out at this bar, struck out at this party and haven't been able to go like these two and points down at the bar and they're carved into the bar. It says Kirk plus Spock. Uh, and they realize, oh, this is, you know, this is actually this is way better than going to this party full of, you know, uh, you know captains and their and their number ones i'd way rather be here uh finally freeman and the command crew beam down they're super excited they finally solve the the dupler problem they're gonna get there they're gonna get in there they're gonna go to this party and of course they get to the door and the, the uh uh bouncer basically says you know you're from the cerritos sorry you're not on the list you can't come in so, uh, you know, they look at there and they're like, you know, oh, and they're trying to like wave to people. Oh, you know me. You know me. Oh, no, nobody will let them in. And it turns out that O'Connor is on the list. Okana, Okana, he's he's the DJ. He's a, of course he's allowed in there. Um, uh, Mariner finds Freeman uh, and the command crew sitting outside, you know, having a snack and sort of says, you know, hey, you know what? You guys are, you know. All good with us. Come hang out with us. You won't believe what we saw in this bar. It's way better than hanging out at that stupid party. We like our own company. It's all good. The emissary, now a singular dupler again, shows up and basically says, "You know, I've got an hour to kill before I go off to my next, you know, uh, thing. Do you guys know a place where I could get a drink around here?" And they say, "Oh yeah, we have the perfect place." And they beam him into the the private party, the command party, and. uh you know, immediately you can hear the sounds of him being offended and, and the popping noise that accompanies it. Uh, back to Rutherford and Tendi. They're, you know, now back to be able to do their thing. And they decide that uh, Tendi gives uh, Rutherford a gift, and it's a Deep Space Nine model for them to work on together. And, uh, and, and Rutherford's super excited because it's got a Jadzia and a... Uh, Esri. Esri, that's right, Esri um and we got back once more to the space station and boimler is you know uh talking about you know oh you know it's it's okay we didn't go to that party you know i was just all these you know stupid number ones and and of course mariner tricks him into admitting he'd actually be the number one and she'd be the the commander or the captain and uh she's like haha you're the number one you have to grow a beard uh and then there's where we wrap (laughs) it up Good episode, funny. Yeah. Really just full of full of goofy stuff. The car chase scene was and lots
3: of lots of little easter eggs, too. visual easter eggs as well. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I think I think it's one that that whole chase scene I think would benefit from like half speed watching just cuz I know there was a ton of stuff happening in there.
3: Well, at the end of the end of, as they pull back the camera, you see the uh, um what's the name of the guy that invented warp warp technology? Oh, is that from uh, Cochrane? Is that from Cochran's? They see his ship in yeah. Mullivish and then the uh the doomsday machine which is the what we my sister and I call the ice cream cone that ate plants yeah, that's right that you see that in there and yeah like we saw the the pike character mm-hmm. and actually last week we did, I don't know if we we mentioned it too but at one point rutherford is trying to fight the the gumado with the with kirk's uh, bamboo cannon you know from the gorn gordon episode yeah
4: that's what it looks like it looks looks like what they're yeah. going to do and then it turns out to be uh, uh you know a, a powerpoint presentation oh yeah oh, oh yeah
2: <laughs> right yeah. yeah, I was uh, pretty keen on the Captain Shelby callback to Commander Shelby from uh, the Best of Both Worlds in TNG.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Again, they they are they are the absolute masters of really just and across all the Star Trek stuff. And I think maybe it was particularly made poignant by Star Trek Day, where there was sort of this recap of the totality—the you know, eight hundred plus episodes of of Star Trek. But These guys just, they love it. They clearly love it. And they're just, you know, a bunch of people in a writer's room and just having so much fun, just, just unearthing 55 years of, of, you know, lore and just playing in the sandbox. And it's, it's just such a fun show to watch. Hmm. Yeah. Good times had by all. And on that note, what if zombies, you know, I
3: forgot to watch what up this this week. So you guys are on your own there. Yeah. That's scandalous zombies Good shot.
4: yeah well you know do you want to hold off we don't want to spoil it for you no it's fine go ahead all right hammy what do you think of the the zombie invasion in the marvel universe
2: I, I liked it but it was a little uneven um and i think it, it starts off pretty dark kind of like the you know, marvel zombies uh comics and then gets mm-hmm. sort of weirdly lighthearted for parts oh, yeah. and then goes dark again towards the end
4: yeah, I, I completely agree with your with your assessment, Jaime. I, I it starts out, it, you know, it has a little bit of humor in that sort of, you know, Hulk won't come out. How are they going to do this? You know, oh, you know, it's unnecessary for you guys to, you know, eat the opponents after you beat them kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, right. Like, I mean, the part where they, you know, are are trying to sort of, you know, fix up this way to to go and, and get on the train and, and you know that part where this you know stuff people are getting you know killed and it's kind of dark and you know there's some fan favorite characters in there, you know, we we get sort of get this the most sort of motley crew of survivors and in you know, very unusual mix of people, including, you know, um Happy Hogan and and you know um Sharon Carter and just, you know, all these different sort of people in here. And yeah, and then it sort of gets really, really dark. And then, you know, there's a couple of twists there and it ends up being like super, super light. And we get, you know, uh, some Paul Rudd humor and some Spider-Man humor. And, you know, and, and, you know, but then you also mix that with like these heartbreaking scenes where like this character, you you know, is nobly sacrificing themselves. And yeah, it's just it was just kind of all over the place. And it's funny because after the last, you know, we, the first two episodes were kind of light and the last two episodes have been really dark. And um this one was kind of both all mushed together into a one sort of big pile. And I'm I can't say that it's off tone or off brand, because you're right, Jaime, like the Marvel Zombies comics are kinda like that too. There is, in spite of the fact that they are kind of dark, there's a little levity to it. There's a little sort of weirdness, you know, at one point they're carrying around one character's head and you know it has a bit of levity to it too, but this this seems a little uneven that being said i found this to be the best episode so far as far as a replacement casting the the person that they had do the voice uh on tom holland's behalf was named hudson Thames, and he was really good i i if if i didn't listen hard i don't know that i would have immediately thought oh that's not tom holland and that I think added some strength to it because Spider-Man is sort of the emotional core of the episode too.
2: Yeah. I thought he sounded pretty good. I didn't know he wasn't the one until they showed the the credits. Yeah.
4: And, and everybody else was, was, you know, the real actors again, you know, including, um, you know, we got, yeah, pretty, pretty wide variety of people from the different franchises. It was characters from Ant-Man. It was characters from Captain America. There was, you know, sort of a whole mishmash Mark Ruffalo, of course, is the Hulk and, uh, Paul Bettany as, as vision and you know like it was it's still pretty pretty star-studded all things being equal um I still I still don't know what to make of this series where you know we're we're getting closer to the end than to the beginning by far and it's uh I really thought there would be some more cohesiveness to it some more glue A- and I knew that the whole point was to sort of show the what if of it all you know what if one thing changed and something sort of different happened but I really feel like I thought coming off such a strongly connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe show like Loki and the fact that they teed up this sort of multiverse idea that there would be more glue here. And maybe maybe we're looking for something that isn't there. Maybe we set unrealistic expectations, but I also think maybe this is all tied to... You know where we're going next, which is to say you know the spider man the doctor strange the you know the, the multiverse writ large across different things, maybe we're gonna see you know agent carter in in you know uh live action as opposed to a cartoon, maybe we're gonna see the evil doctor Strange, maybe we're gonna see uh you know zombies, who knows
3: right who knows the shadow knows
2: the uh the comic booky blam 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 stuff was uh was fun yeah. as well. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm happy. yeah, happy,
4: happy with uh, one of one of Tony's repulsors. Did you just say Blam? And as 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 in everything ever, Paul Rudd steals the episode. He was so funny. He was so funny in in an episode that was at times pretty grim and dark. Uh, him uh, in, in the way that they used him in this episode was was super super funny. All that to say,
3: go watch it, Tim. You'll enjoy it. For sure, for sure. So we got the. Uh, where's my notes gone? Watch list. Let's do the watch list. Watch list.
4: Watch list. Uh, a couple okay. quick ones for me. So the first trailer dropped for Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. Uh, this is on the heels of the Star Wars Lego Star Wars holiday special that they had last year on Disney Plus. This year they're doing a Halloween special. Uh, so we get a little glimpse of what's happening there. It looks like they're creating basically a haunted house in a Darth Vader slash Dark Side of the Force theme set in the time period around uh, the the last trilogy. So Poe Dameron is, appears to be the star of it. Uh, it looks goofy. It looks fun. It looks funny. It looks light. I'm I'm all in on this. Check out the trailer if, if you're into that stuff. Uh, we got a full... Proper trailer for Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie. We had gotten a bit of a teaser where we were trying to sort of pull at what this is about. This trailer is as a little more on the nose, uh, and sort of explains, you know, that there is this sort of time travel, you know, Twilight Zony kind of mystery, murder mystery that's trying to be sort of solved. Um, it looks really good. I'm 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 not a huge sort of thriller horror kind of person. But uh, Matt Smith, you know, looked really cool. The the sets look really cool. Um, I, I do like both of uh, the the female performers, Annie Taylor-Joy. And uh, I wish I could remember the other young woman's name from... Uh, she was the star of... One of the stars of um, Taika Waititi's last film. I'm going to look it up because I'm going to feel like a fool if I don't. Um, Jojo Rabbit. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was a really captivating trailer. And I was like way, way in after seeing it. Thomas and Mackenzie, that's the young woman's name. uh she was really great in jojo rabbit and, and i I think it's cool that she's already uh in taking over as a lead in this movie uh, yeah, check out the trailer absolutely i this is another one where I'm like I really hope that theaters feel like a safe space because I really want to see this in the theater. I love Edgar Wright's movies in the theater, and I really want to see this one if it's
3: yeah that's possible
4: for sure uh last thing is just a confirmation uh and uh, you know we're we're getting the first episode of why the last man on september 13th it's on fx on hulu in the states it's on disney plus through star here in canada so that's good news i was a little worried that we might get on some sort of weird delay or something but it doesn't appear to be the case it looks like we're going to get it uh, at the same time across uh canada and the united states uh of course we talked about this previously it's famously uh based on um brian k vaughn and pia guerra's graphic novel series uh, which was an absolute masterpiece. I have read a few uh, preliminary reviews that were not um, encouraging, but I think I'm still going to give it a try and sort of see if I feel like this is uh, capturing the tone of the, of the book, which was so good. So uh, I will report back next week and I'll let you know what I think of the first episode.
3: Cool. Big fan of Edgar Wright movies too. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, honey, what you got?
2: For the second week in a row, I've selected a song. Or, uh, ones did you all enjoy last week's song, the uh, What Would Captain Picard Do?
3: <laughs> we we like it when you sang it, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. always better when you do your rendition. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Um, this next one I really can't sing because it doesn't have words per se, like a, a chant, but it's uh, For the Damaged Coda. This is from the um, Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons album from Blonde Redhead, and it is uh a song that is very important in the season finale for Rick and Morty um, pretty well, well fitting for where they, uh, they take the last few moments of that show. Okay, cool. Yeah. Y'all didn't, uh, didn't see as it was, uh, making its way on the internet as a meme for like tragic things happening in your life. Um, check those out on like Reddit or something, but, uh, the, the song itself is, is, is pretty good. Kind of haunting.
3: All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you?
2: You can
4: always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at
3: news. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you?
2: I'm on Twitter as at dev the hair.
3: Right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Unless we see you in the past, that is. <laughs> Bye. 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 You've been
2: listening to the Spotcast Podcast.
3: All right. You yeah, has got the Borg Queen in the freezer. Well, it's, not, it's either that or you just have to get yourself, you know, um, a vertebrae with transparent aluminum, Oh, that's right, right.
4: yeah. If, if there happens to be a Klingon bird of prey with, uh,
3: yeah, spots for a couple of humpback whales, you're all set. And I have one of those classic Macs with the mouse where you can sort of say, computer. "computer," <laughs> a new computer. Yeah. Yes, what are you doing? Hmm. You know, I just finished watching Val. You know, the, the TV, it's a movie about Val Kilmer oh yeah yeah the trailer looks interesting it's a weird one uh
4: the trailer looks kind of odd is it good
3: well so what it is is he his younger brother was a you know big movie nut kind of like spielberg right Mm. and uh but he died tragically at like the age of 10 or 12 or something like that um and kind of like devastated kilmer and uh, but but he carried on the tradition of of videoing everything so he had a video camera at a young age and he got into Juilliard when he was a young kid. Anyway, so the the story is now he's got throat cancer, right? Yeah, he and lost his so he, ability to talk, right? So he can't talk. He's got the, the plug in his throat. Yeah, yeah. But so he, so he kind of croaks when he talks. And he was just doing a, like a one-man uh, Mark Twain thing. And and it's interesting because he goes through his whole career, and it's it's really interesting because he, like, he can't talk, and all of a sudden you hear his voice going, my name is Val Kilmer. And then you they flash over to his son who's reading the part. So all the, all the sort of, it's basically a biopic, right? It's, it's like autobiogra- autobiographical because he talks about all the stuff, but, but he had a, uh, like a high def camera on, on set with him all the time when he was in plays and stuff like that. So pretty much documented just about everything. Right. So cool. his first, his first role out of, uh, out of Juilliard, he got this role in a play and, uh. And then they said he was like the first lead, and they said, "Okay, you can be the first lead." Then they said, "Oh, you know what? We're going to make you the second lead because Kevin Bacon's available." (laughs) And then you know, so so, and he went to school with Kevin Bacon as well, right? So Kevin Bacon becomes the first lead, and then says, "Oh, by the way, we're going to make you the third lead because Sean Penn's available." (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so anyway, so like, but it's it's kind of a tragic, you know, story, but but it's kind of interesting to sort of see all the behind the scenes and all the sort of rumors you've heard or stories you've heard about him and his method acting and, and his, um, you know, the trouble on set and stuff like that. Like, he, like uh, the guy who took over The Islander, Dr. Moreau, who's the one that sort of, you know, drove up his reputation as a troubled troubled actor to work with, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't like the fact that he had a camera pointed in his face all the time. Oh,
0: yeah.
3: No, <laughs> yeah. well, funny thing. Eh? And and he wouldn't, he wouldn't take direction from the actors. Yeah, just, it was really sort of interesting to see from... From Kilmer's expect uh, perspective, right? So yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I he was always somebody I really gravitated to early. Again, um, some of the early comedies that he was in, um, I, I really enjoyed his performance. And of course, he sort of you know his apex in the '90s with things like uh, Tombstone and The Doors, and you know like, like he really you know he was a list for a while there. Well,
3: he like he was Batman and and. He said one of the things that one he talks about in the movie is one of the things that sort of sort of crucified him was he decided he he stepped down after the first movie.
4: Yeah, I think everybody yeah. expected like, oh, you're going to be that for a while, and he, yeah, that wasn't his yeah. expectation. Yeah.
3: Well, he was like like he couldn't he couldn't move in the rubber suit. He couldn't you know raise his arms or whatever. He couldn't move, and then he realized after a while, all he was meant to do was just stand there and on in 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 the in the light, you know. Mm-hmm. You know and to him that wasn't acting and that's why he, he stepped away from it right so plus that movie was that was the one with jim carrey and and um Tommy, I mean, jones, yeah. Tommy jones yeah they were over the top and that right oh so, yeah he was eclipsed by i i don't think that was the issue but i mean yeah i think it was sort of the it was impossible to he couldn't breathe he couldn't hear anybody yeah right so they stopped talking to him after a while he's like okay and he basically, like, I think he described it on on Leno or something like this, Said you, you act for a bit and then you fall down. Yeah. They pick you back up again, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing his suit
4: um, when I was in New York uh, at DC headquarters, and they had a couple of the suits sort of all lined up there. I remember looking at them thinking, like, I cannot believe a human being is, like, shoehorned into these very uncomfortable pieces of, of you know, rubber all day. Um, I can completely understand why you'd burn out on it, but, but yeah, I mean, it's disappointing again, like those kind of roles can be legacy defining if, if they're done right. And, you know, not only did he come on after Tim Burton left, he got that, like Joel Schumacher was his director. They started getting campier. They were getting a little sort of silly. And then, yeah, then, and it wasn't exactly like it was a part that you could sink your teeth into when you're like, I can barely move.
3: Well, and especially since he was he was trained as a Juilliard, you know, actor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like proper, proper, you no know, stagecraft, right? Yeah.
4: I mean, t- and, Tommy Lee Jones is an Oscar winner. <laughs> he was dressed up yeah. like the Two Face. No, I,
3: I well, I mean, yeah, but but yeah, don't forget though, Jim Carrey and and Tommy Lee Jones were given like a lot of latitude in that in the role. Oh, right? for sure. They, I mean, double Jim Carrey,
4: Jim Carrey at one of his most Jim Carrey moments, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially in the role that like, he was meant to born to play, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was really it was really uh really good. Like really um really interesting thing. And there's another there's another one on called Kid Ninety or something like that or which seems to be a similar thing. Like it's another sort of you know they made it with a video camera kind of unless that's like the the how it's built up to be, but I saw a quick trailer for that one. Yeah. You might sit and watch that. I watched The Courier too, which was a good movie. Uh Benedict Cumberbatch one, spy movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's on uh Prime. Okay came out on prime like last week or so is that the one where he's kind of a jerk
4: no which one no. am i thinking? i thought there was one i saw recently that seemed like it was him sort of off cast or whatever
3: i i don't know i mean it, this is it's kind of a strange one it's kind of it's it's not quite as sophisticated as tinker taylor soldier spy but it's that kind of story he's you know he's a, a english businessman who's uh, recruited into going to um russia and and helping you know uh their mole over there, send information back during, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. So, hmm. yeah. And then he gets, you know, yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it for you, but yeah, it's, um, so it's played well. And, and, you know, the, the woman who pays is, is his, his uh, wife is really good. She's in, um, the last version of Fargo. Okay. Um, yeah, she plays an American in Fargo, but, um, I don't know if you've seen the Fargo with, um, yeah, the guy from, uh, Saturday Live, Median. or, um, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock. No, I, ha- yeah. I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah. Well, that was... I, I've only... I've, I have missed it when it was on, so I've been we're trying to catch up on it. I'm waiting for it to come out on Netflix or something so I can watch it. Yeah. Yeah, this
4: was a big... This was a big sci-fi week. Jeez, a lot of stuff to talk about. It was, well, we still have Tadam to look forward to. Oh, I, yeah. Who's, who's, who's responsible for watching the Tadam press
2: conference? Because... Uh, Is it going to be like a five-hour <laughs> <laughs> extravaganza? Man, man. Is it five hours? I mean, I did not know that Star Trek Day was going to be quite so long as y'all uh, talked about. It. I,
4: I thought it was going to be like two hours tops. And I thought, well, if I have time, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll watch it. So, you know, I made supper for everybody and we all sort of settled in to do our own things. And I was like, Oh, I'm sitting here on the sofa. I'll just pop it on uh YouTube on my TV and I'll just sort of watch along. And did you watch it on YouTube or Facebook? I watched it on YouTube. So they were streaming oh, it on right. the star Trek channel on YouTube. And that was actually a pretty, oh, pretty okay. decent feed for it. Uh, but it was just sort of badly like it really could have benefited from like a, a director like a somebody who was just like <laughs> keeping things moving because it was just kind of meandering and and you know there was a few spots where like jokes weren't landing and there's awkward silences and yeah and you know those the the parts on the red carpet again those those two young women you know I'm, again i'm obviously you know there's there's certainly benefits to having you know, young people and, and particularly women interested in science fiction. But I, I was not loving the work that they were doing across the board. Some of it was really fun; like they were they they were very you know excited, but they did not seem terribly knowledgeable. And that kind of set things back a little bit. In my you know, mm. Star Trek fans are just yeah. so deep into the lore and knowledgeable. I can't be the only Trek fan who was kind of cringing
2: their way through that. Yeah, yeah. yeah this ends up with yeah, the um, he's confused, but he got the spirit meme. That uh... Comes yeah back to to
4: mind oh it was it was when they hit ricardo montalban that i was just like oh oh dear lord help us all like this is the, the actor who played like probably the most iconic villain in star trek history is that an, yeah. is that a stretch
2: yeah and there- you know as somebody with a uh, spanish background last name and first name i i i didn't hear it myself but i could i could see how people would anglicize it You know, and it's not like the Mm. most common name that you would see uh, around the world. So uh, it's not like Gomez or something.
4: It's true, although it's funny because, you know, for for people of of definitely Tim's, certainly mine. I'm not sure if it trickled down to you and your age, Jaime, but, you know, this this guy was a household name. You know, Fantasy Island was a massive program. He was a star for. 25 years you know and he did, he did, he car, did car commercials he like this, about this corinthian, leather. Cordoba, corinthian leather.
3: Leather. yeah he he was a you know a, cordoba i think it was cordoba that's right word that's word. right which is a made-up word it doesn't mean anything.
4: um yeah he was he was just sort of you know everywhere and it just mm. seems so weird that that selling coffee nobody remembers him for the next generation which again seems even stranger just because you know these these shows do exist you know the tos stuff you know wrath of khan all right i'm gonna say it probably the best
3: star trek movie come at me let's go well i was gonna say it it definitely is of of that generation of those those folks right i liked first contact myself but um yeah i think uh no not first contact which what's the one where they go back in time the voyage Um, home the voyage home Mm -hmm. no 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 with the borg uh, yeah that's first First contact yeah yeah yeah. oh that was first contact okay what was the one with oh generations was the one where they crossed over with the nexus and stuff yeah no i think i think you're right of all of all the villains that you think about on in in star trek i mean like harry mudd's up there
4: yeah, but really, I, I mean, s- Harry Mudd was a TV character. No,
3: I, I, so, I mean, let let me finish. Harry Mud and 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 uh, Khan. Khan definitely, because I mean, he's, there's that whole meme of Kirk to sing Khan. Yeah, you know, which you, you can use for any situation, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think probably the, the Borg is the Borg as a sort of a species is probably up there with with terms of. Terror and you know, like, but
4: but like again, not not centralized, not like there's one like the queen, I guess, was supposed to be the ultimate version of that, but still yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I mean, really, like, she again, Alex Krieg and, and that role in in the movie was great, yeah. but
3: well, I mean, so the thing about the Borg is the Borg to me is communism, right? Um, in a sense, like, it's socialism, communism, that the whole sort of fear of of everybody being painted the same brush, right? Yeah, and the fact that they had standout characters like the Borg Queen didn't make sense to me at the time. Yeah. You know, um, you know, then you had people like Hugh and seven of nine and stuff like that too, but, but they're individuals that get pulled out of it. And then you look at as well, right? Like the whole concept of taking this, you know, major character in, you know, the Federation turning him into, into one of their lieutenants or captains or whatever they have over there. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and then I think they had that numbered envoy. Uh, they had that numbered species. Um, they never gave them a name. They just called them a number. And they were they were oh, kind yeah, of species like species eight four two or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was, and they were they were pretty pretty out there in terms of like they were supposed to be like undefeatable, right? Um, but again, without that yeah. central like it, that
4: was a, a broadly a race. You're right. I mean, I think the Borg are probably the best realized sort of big bad. But as far as yeah. a single yeah. sort of single person I,
3: i'm not sure you can top con no i don't think you can i think you're right And it definitely definitely stands out as the number one you know i mean because even yeah because when they even had Kenneth benedict cumberbatch replay him yeah well not quite as well no. i mean i love i love that actor but i mean it wasn't quite as successful no i agree it was i think chris chris pine was the villain in that series of movies <laughs> I think J.J. J. Abrams was the villain in those movie. Or what did you call it? Somebody called him Jar Jar Abrams oh, the other day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Yeah, who was that that called
4: Jar Jar Abrams? I don't know, but that person... Oh, no, is, it was uh,
3: John Wilker. John Wilker on one of the last... Or I interviewed him on uh, More Than Just Code, and he called him Jar Jar Abrams. <laughs> uh,
0: that's a good one. I'll write that
3: one down. Yeah, for sure. Oh, show.
4: All things being equal, I'm. I mean, it's... There's five Star Trek shows in production right now. That's pretty awesome.
2: And- yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's still funny to see people um, online, you know, trolling and, and looking for YouTube clicks. So like, oh, this is like a disaster. I'm like, bro, <laughs> CBS and now Paramount are dumping insane amounts of money into this. And unless you think they're like, oh, they're, they're just dumping money to grow big and, and not make a whole bunch of profit um it, it it's a success like it's just proven out by here right you yeah you might have had the reasonable argument during when it was just disco, but then the next show on the next show and now all these simultaneous shows um mm-hmm. I think it's a bona fide success um not to say it's perfect but uh you know it's a lot better than the the dark you know we were talking about <laughs> we were joking about jar jar uh, abrams but uh if you yeah. didn't have that to sort of rekindle this the the spirit um, we probably would have been without Star Trek for quite a long time. And there was that That's big true. gap between the uh, the early end of Enterprise and and the next thing that came out.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, we also, I mean, I suffered through the whole waiting for Star Trek II to come out, right? Like the, the version did in the 70s. And a lot of things, that, that a lot of costumes and sets and stuff that, that they've used in Next Generation and other subsequent shows came out of that Star Trek II concept, right? Yeah. There's like, you know, um, storyboards and costume designs and stuff like that that were all created for those for those series and then just never never got produced. Yeah. There's so here's
4: something that has occurred to me and you guys give me your thoughts. So Star Trek is now at 55 years. You know, there were some years in there where there wasn't some. The love has been there. The fans have been there. It's always been played on sure. TV. Yeah, it's, it's never yeah. been off TV. There may not have been making new ones, but it's never been off TV in 55 yeah. years. Star Wars is 44 years, and in that time, you know, there was a lot of long gaps with no content. Now we're sort of in the golden age, which sounds ridiculous, because I thought those last three movies were kind of trash, but um, (laughs) or the last trilogy anyways. Um, Compared to the whole scope of Star Wars. Yes, compared to to the quality level that I'd come to expect, uh, in fairness. But... 44 years is still nothing to sneeze at and now we're sort of in this golden age where you know not only do we have you know uh, the Mandalorian but we've also got you know Bad Batch and we've also got you know they're doing the the Ahsoka series and they're doing the you know the Rangers of the New Republic and they're doing the Boba Fett series and you know like this is a great time to be a Star Wars fan too we're only 11 years if you can believe it 12 years 11 years into the MCU and that is just a monster now uh as movies go though but it's been around for a long time though, certainly maybe. as a, as a comic book you know enterprise it's been since the 60s so it's actually the oldest if you view it through that prism yeah uh, although i'm not mm-hmm. sure you know if we're talking about sort of you know the 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 whole sort of where it's at now i just wonder i'm wondering like you know i wonder if we're going to be you know i, mean, I may maybe be the last survivor of us in the end of this but i wonder if you know we're we're going to see you know 50 years of the MCU and not just, you know, 50 years of Marvel writ large, but yeah, I wonder if they're still going to be making, you know, Marvel products in that way, you know, 50 years from now that people are just like, oh man, I watched this old movie called Iron Man. Oh, this, this ancient movie called Avengers and, but it all, oh yeah. man, it was like, you know, it wasn't even in quadrophonic
2: 64D,
3: you know? Yeah. It didn't project right into your eyeballs, you know, that pill you made. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's funny cause you know, so much
4: of the zeitgeist is, is trapped around, you know, I mean, obviously Disney is a, is a monster as far as, you know, marketing yeah. promotion, all the tie-ins, the toys, the branding, the amusement parks, all that stuff that elevates the the Marvel stuff and the star Wars stuff and and has Ooh. the last, you know, decades plus, but I don't know. Do you think, do you think Trek is on par with those things or is it, is it a notch below now? Where, where are those things as far as how they line up? Yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, like, I listen to, you know, a lot of pods. I read a lot of blogs. And there's there's certainly way more excitement for the the Star Wars Marvel stuff than there is for the, the Star Trek stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's a shame
4: because the Star Trek stuff,
3: there's so much good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. For me, like, I lost the first six week, six months of my work on Mac, period. Like, because the guy who sold me the thing said, you just, oh, when you're finished, you just save space on your drive you archive everything over to tape and whatever and then six months into it i went oh i want to get that file back and i went to restore it from tape and the the backup software said there's no tape drive connected i'm like what (laughs) and then when and then when i went to contact the company that made the 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 drive they went out of business (sighs) you know so like the very first six Mm -hmm. months of work i did and it was all crap but i mean look i i'm an artist i like to keep everything right yeah so so i learned that lesson like right from the (laughs) get-go i have like cds and dvds full of backup data that you know some at some point in my life i'll go back and try and recover it but because i remember i did some 3d drawings back in the day and i have printouts of them but i don't have the actual data and i'd love to go back and grab those and render them with today's technology (laughs) you know
4: all right but you're you're sounding a little george lucasy now yeah no I don't no I I, shut
3: up. I don't want to change them I just want to render them again right Yeah so, yeah thanks Mr Lucas we understand Yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> on that happy note
4: Yeah all right I'm just gonna talk, bring back my away. original vision I just want it to look like my vision was back in
3: the time Oh fuck you and your vision like the the thing about it is like it's funny because it's funny like again I I I, like, I watched a little bit more of that Star Star Wars movie the other day. The scene where Harrison Ford is running down, the, the he's got the gun, and he's running after the, the stormtroopers that are running away from him, yeah. and he goes around the corner, and there's, like, five guys standing in the room, and then he, he turns around and runs back, yeah, yeah, right? And Yeah, there's, like, a thousand like a of dead them. End. Well, in the redo, there's, like, a, you know, hundreds of them. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just standing around waiting for someone to run down the hall <laughs> in a dead end. Hello? <laughs> but, you know, for, from the point of view of, state, of film craft, like, I love Edgar Wright's talks because he talks about, how like he has that one thing where he a filler piece where he like the the scene where you've seen it a thousand times let's get ready to go to the thing whatever and they show them lacing up the shoes and pouring the coffee and you know brushing their teeth and like it's all these little short little vignettes that's a movie trick right that they do they they have these little snap you know sort of quick little slide vignettes and like little snippets of stuff they throw together to fill in to, to tell a story in a really small amount of time the same way that Harrison Ford runs down the hallway sees a bunch of stormtroopers and runs back right you only need to see that scene for a split second and your brain goes "Uh uh-oh and then you run back because of the fight fight or flight thing if you go back and examine it with a freaking microscope you know it's just five guys in a hallway you know from from the point of view of movie craft it makes it works yeah right because your brain goes there's not just two guys. Now it's five guys, you know, like, and you, and like, and because Harrison Ford is screaming as he runs back, you're like, oh my God, something horrible is happening, you know? But, you know, when you sit down and watch the movie for the very first time, you don't really have time to count the number of guys in the hallway, right? Anyway, that's my point. Like, like George Lucas, as a young director, used stagecraft and movie craft to make movie magic, right? He didn't need to go back and re-render those stupid X-Wings and all that stuff. I'm sorry. And I, I'm still upset about the... I was watching the animated series today. I watched the first episode of, of um, the animated series, Star Trek, mm. right? And, yeah, it, it's actually surprisingly good, right? Like, you know, the the anime... It's like the, the old Spider-Man uh, uh, cartoon. Like, it's very, you know, cardboardy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, mo- the eyebrows move and the mouse move, but it's just a bunch of still images, right? But in the beginning of it they kind of like do an animated version of the original uh opening, you know with the with the ship flying towards the camera. And the one that they originally did in 1966, I I love that opening because it it's it's crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? But now in the in the the, the new redo of of the next gen- or of the, the original series, they have the fancy CG rendered one, right? And it doesn't work as well. Yeah, in my opinion. But, I got I to gotta go on YouTube and see if there's a, somebody's got the original one there. You have it, don't you? Don't you have the original series somewhere? Yeah, I have I it on DVD. DVD. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just throw one in one day and then watch the opening credits, right? And you'll see there's there's a scene where, like, the the ship flies to the left and it flies to the right. And if you look at it frame by frame, it's like a blur, <laughs> you know? And it's like this weird-looking shape. Like, I used to watch that all the time, and it was, my eye would catch the weird blur all the time. And now, just, to me, it seems wrong. You know, because like what I'm saying is the minimal amount of effort works. You know, it fools you. You don't really need like like you look at the costumes that we, that people do. I went and went and saw that Star Wars exhibit, which has never come to Toronto. It was in Seattle when I saw it. And you know, like the the off we call him the Snowtrooper. Mm. He's wearing those white cotton work gloves that you get when you're like painting. They're not really. They're just like crappy. Like you get them at Canadian Tire. That's what the gloves were. Yeah. You know, or like an alien where they're wearing hockey gloves as as gloves. You know, and I love the part where where the um, uh, Dallas and the doctor or Dallas and the robot are are um, what's the robot's name again? I forget. Anyway, the Ian Holm character. They're examining the the alien, and they've got respirators on their their faces, but there, there's no hose coming yeah. out, of them, right? Like you know, in 1977, that worked. You know, like, nobody noticed. Yeah. It really does make me exactly. appreciate how uh, much attention to detail they put into these movies now. Well, now it's like everything's rendered mm-hmm. within the mm-hmm. inch of its life. Like, you know, they, they, they draw dust and dirt onto yeah, things, yeah. you know? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> ah, rant, rant over. You got me started on the whole Lucas thing.
4: Well, what have we learned, Jaime? <laughs> hey, Never accused him of being George Lucas.
2: <laughs> that was the, uh, that was the... The hot button topic right
3: there. Yeah. <laughs> well you know, they call they call Trump Loy the the you know, the, the painting where you paint wood grain or you paint leather or whatever. It's trick the eye. That's yeah. what Trump Loy translates yeah. to. Right? So all you need to do is trick the eye for a split second and no one's gonna know. Unless they, you know, unless unless somebody comes along and develops a technique or technology like D V D or Blu ray where people can watch things frame by frame and analyze that out of them. But you know, in nineteen seventy seven the only place you saw that was in a theater. Oh, right?
4: my my very favorite one is the one from the James Bond movie where at one point he's having a fight in a dressing room with somebody, and he kicks the mirror, yeah. and the mirror pans, and you can see the entire film crew in the mirror. <laughs> they For the for the new releases of it, they actually like rendered, rendered it out. out, so you don't see that. Oh, but man. god, that scene is yeah. just—it's so bad. It's only on again. It's only on for like two frames. But it's yeah. like you see oh, the
3: cameraman, you see the director, you see like the boom guy. <laughs> well it's like the stormtroopers who bang their heads in the first movie. Oh, yeah. right? Like they he left that in. Yeah. He left that in. Yeah. What? You know? Anyway. Oh George. Yeah. Talk to you later.
4: All right guys. See you next week.
3: i Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.